Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. All right, I will find some clever way to introduce us. Hi, Daniel. <sighs> huh. You know what? I might just go with that. <laughs> I will find some clever way to introduce us, and that is that is the introduction now, because I because I said it. Hello, welcome to It Could Happen Here. Today we are going to be talking about um, inter- internet privacy and some new bills. That will possibly undermine it. Um, Today, I have with me uh, Christopher. Hello, Christopher. Hello, I am here. I am... I don't know if excited is the right word, but... No, no one should ever be... People are rarely excited to come on the show. Yeah, um, no, this is a this is a uh, mild dread of I try. the future of the internet. I try, because we, we, definitely, we definitely can. Things don't need to be always horrible and grim, even when you're talking about things that aren't great. But, 
yeah, today today we'll be talking about some some interesting things. As per the title of this episode, will probably be related to we are talking about the proposed Earnit Act, and well, just I'll explain what it is and the different kind of implications it could have on how like everyone uses the internet, um, but also it affects a few specific types of people in particular. So, but kind of part of this whole thing. We're going to start off by talking about something a little bit different and then to kind of segue to the Internet Act. Um, so last year, um, Apple, the company, announced like a controversial plan to install photo scanning software into every kind of every every device. Um, Apple's kind of long been seen as a pro privacy company. Um, in the past, they have like refused FBI demands to help investigators bypass locked phones. So this this idea and this plan to create a backdoor into the iPhone storage system to scan for photos is, was kind of a big deal coming for Apple because they were de- definitely, at least in the past, known as a generally like out of all of the companies, the ones that if you're dealing with sensitive matters, Apple is ge- generally generally the better one. Now that that it has become less of a case in the past few years, but that was def- that, de- that definitely was the case. So when when this kind of idea was announced, there was a decently sized. Uh, global coalition also formed to push back on this thing, um, and the company did pause the plan. Now, this came at a time that a lot of different kind of companies were also pushing back against not safe for work materials, um, specifically for like 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 relating to like the transaction of money in banks. This was you know around the time that OnlyFans was flip flopping on whether they would actually have not safe for work kind of materials as a part of this kind of growing trend of like worrying about um the the term now is like child sexual abuse materials more traditionally it was it's called child pornography or you know it's so it's part of this kind of overall kind of extra focus that tech companies have about being worried that if they if someone is doing that who is underage or if someone's being exploited who's underage um you know they could unfinancially hurt the company so they're trying to a lot lots of companies have been trying to do this thing to prevent that legal and financial issue from happening. Now, of course, all this really actually ends up doing is just negatively affecting sex workers. Um, but this, that's kind of a topic for a different episode because we're talking about the Earn It Act more specifically and not not specifically talking about OnlyFans. But th- this was Apple's plan to kind of scan all these photos to to make sure that that there were not, you know, naked photos of and of children. Um, now, there's a whole bunch of other privacy issues around that because, I mean, obviously teens do take nudes and send them to each other, and there is really no stopping that. Um, so the idea that all these photos are getting scanned and then seen, and then, like, it would be... Par- the, the idea was that parents would be, like, alerted if something was found on the phone automatically, which means that... For me, I have a whole bunch of other issues with that. Like, that is <laughs> yeah, a whole other kind of level of, like, fucked up. Like, um, especially for queer kids. Like, that is... Yeah. Like that is a whole that, again, but that that is mostly a whole whole, whole other discussion that I'm not going to talk about right now because we are. I do want to focus this, focus this more on the more on the Earned Act, um, but so this this plan was paused, um, but now that may not necessarily matter actually because um, Congress kind of wants to force Apple's hand along with along with essentially every other company that allows users to store or share messages or kind of really any content. Um, and Congress is some senators and there's a bill that will try to essentially mandate photo scanning and specific photo scanning technology approved by the government. So, yeah. So while Apple's plan would have put privacy and it's the security at risk for all of its users, 
the Earned Act uh, compromises the security and free speech for basically everyone who uses the internet. Um, the bill would create serious legal risks for businesses that host content such as messages or photos uh, stored in the cloud, um, online backups, and potentially even any kind of cloud hosting sites such as Amazon Web Services, which means basically most of the internet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And basically, so have the, all these comp- all of these services and companies would be in serious legal risk unless they use this government-approved scanning tools. A version of this bill was first introduced two years ago, sponsored by Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina, and Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut. And now, like a lot of these other things, it is allegedly aimed at tackling so-called child sexual abuse material online. Um, which is which is a problem. There is the kids definitely do get exploited. Um, kids do get groomed, exploited. Uh, photos of children do get shared online. Uh, that like that that actually is a, a real issue. Um, now, a lot of the ways that these tools get implemented don't actually address that issue, and of course, it doesn't actually deal with the people that do this. Like you know, like the bad the bad people that do exploit kids. It doesn't necessarily deal with them either. That is that is what they wrap this idea as. The original uh, bill that was introduced two years ago threatened encryption and privacy features that would have actually, you know, put Americans' privacy, particularly particularly the privacy of children, um, at risk. It also gutted Section 230 in ways that caused over 50 civil rights groups to pen a letter describing the potential consequences um, of such things like censorship, um, you know, cramming down on free speech and the basically destruction of encryption. So when the legislation failed to advance two years ago, digital um, liberty advocates, you know, sex workers, civil rights organizations all breathed a sigh of relief. But this past month, as I record this um, in 20 in February 2022, a group of lawmakers, again, led by Senator, Senator Richard Blumenthal and Senator Lindsey Graham, reintroduced the Internet Act, um, a slightly modified version of it. Um, and on the fe- on the 10th of February, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to advance the, the dangerous Earn It Act bill. So, yeah, it is it is it is chugging along a bit further than what it did than what it did last time. The Earn It Act aims to tackle the horrific criminal activity related to child sexual abuse material by making Section 230 protections contingent on the prevention and response to such material online. So Section 230 shields online services, like, you know, commonly used social media, from liability from most user-generated content. Under EARNIT, uh, Section 230 would be amended to enable civil claims and state criminal prosecution related to child abuse materials online against platforms. Now, already this can kind of happen federally a little bit, um, but it depends on how the company like responds to it. So, but, but this would introduce a whole new wave for civil claims and state claims to be filed against companies like this. Um, if, 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 if material like this is to be found hosted on their site, you know, including, you know, that, that would even include if like someone who's underage operates a not safe for work Twitter account that they probably should not be operating. Um, but this, this, you know, this, this could also, this could basically make the company in trouble. They could fall under state claims, um, or civil claims. So as, as a result, online services could be subject to endless litigation under 50 different, you know, legal law systems per, you know, for all the States regarding, you know, finding child sexual abuse material online. 
So the, the Bill's proponents claim that this isn't necessarily a problem for any service as long as it is scanning the files and reporting child sexual abuse material to law enforcement. Internet companies are already required to report suspected material if they come across it, and they do report material on a massive scale that often comes with, comes with a lot of mistakes. Uh, Facebook is often held as a positive example by lawmakers and law enforcement for how much they do report su such material. But while their new scanning techniques have produced many millions of reports, most of them are inaccurate. Like most of them actually aren't of minors. It's yeah. it's it's not it's not actually none none of the scanning material is good because a lot of cases many people up into their thirties can get often flagged and often like even non humans can get flagged like pictures of fruit can like can get, like it's not like it's not like yeah none of these scanning tools are actually very good yeah and like this is i think i think a thing that like if, if you've never like had to work with a machine learning algorithm before i think it's difficult to understand how unbelievably bad these things are yeah like it's i just it is oh god like the the the, the incomprehensible horror of trying to get a machine learning algorithm to do the thing that you wanted to do and not do the other things that you're not that you don't want it to do to like you know be able to tell the difference between like a particularly smooth and round peach and like child sex abuse material you, you know you human being can do this right the machine cannot and it, it is they it is horrifically inaccurate you have to do all kinds of like hacking stuff together in order to get this stuff to work and yeah, yeah it's 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 a fiasco a, a good example of this that I've that I've heard before that I'm, pro I'm probably going to butcher this explanation, but you know that you can take you know a photo of a wolf, um, maybe even three photos of a wolf, and say here this is the, these these are photos of wolves. Um, here's a, here's other here's here's these other photos. Find which ones are wolves, and it'll you know it'll it'll sort through other ones. So some of them have wolves, some of them don't, um, and it only finds one picture that says this one's based on the three photos you've given me. This photo is is, is a wolf, and instead the photo is not the photo is of a tree and you're like why did it tell me this is a wolf and the computer will answer well look at all the all of the backgrounds are the same yeah because it's I mean, trying it's yeah. trying to match like it doesn't have the same thing that humans do when, when all these computer algorithms that are trying to learn to replicate and to like find these patterns it is never perfect so the big thing that is people often overlook is that yeah, specifically with this, like with with Facebook's scanning tool and the millions of reports that that it does make, you know, federal law enforcement will frequently use the massive number of reports to suggest there is this giant recent uptick in child sexual abuse materials. But that's not because there actually is. That's because this this the scanning that some companies are doing is just so bad. Like it's just it's just so yeah. inaccurate that it flags so many things. So like in action, the new Earn It Act would just pave a massive new surveillance system run by private companies that would roll back some of the most important privacy and security features and technology used by people around the globe, right? The, the idea is to compel private companies to scan every message sent online and report violations to law enforcement. And it, it may not stop there. The Earnit Act could ensure anything hosted online, including like backups, websites, cloud photos, and more, is all scanned. Now, of course, you can say, I mean, there is no actual true privacy online, right? The NSA does see everything, which is basically true. But 
stuff like local police departments and the FBI do not have constant access to what the NSA has. It does actually, like, legally, it does actually take some time for that to happen. The fact that all these private companies would be doing it for them, um, and the fact that this would actually break encryption makes people like the FBI, makes the local law enforcement have a much easier time accessing what we do on the internet. Because yes, the NSA kind of does always see everything, but that, well, that, that this, 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 like, actually, this actually is this actually is quite different. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the accessibility of that information, and I, I think I think it's also, you know, to, to to go back into one of the sort of like encryption arguments too, right? So okay, what, once you put a backdoor into encryption, right? Once once you have, you know, you have your system, you have your encryption system, but you know now there's now there's a way to access it, right? Because oh well, we need to access these, you know, we need to be able to decrypt this in order to see if there's like child pornography materials on it, right? Once that backdoor exists. Any anyone who finds it can use it for anything they want, and, and it's, it's 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 not even just that. Like we'll, we'll get into some other things around encryption, yeah. but but yeah, c- continue. Yeah, and you know, and I think I think this is something that I think people don't like the the the, the people who are just thinking about this in terms of, of of child pornography don't think about, which is that like I don't know, lot like there these the, these kinds of backdoors, right? Like other people can find them. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, OK, now now you've just put a backdoor in all of your encryption like, oh, hey, here's, you know, like here you, 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 you are you are going to get people killed and you're going to get people killed because you're going to have people who are doing things under governments that, you know, will will, will like, you know, you're going to have people in Myanmar. You're going to have people in. Yes. You're going to have people in, in Egypt. You're going to have people in Syria who like these these regimes and like these you know private private companies right are 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 going are going to sell the backdoors to these regimes and they are going to use it to hunt down torture and kill people and so yeah there is there is a lot of problems with it especially especially how it how it kind of addresses encryption because the bill does try to actually have some encryption protections but the way they go about it of course is not is not adequate and it even kind of fosters its its own negation in some ways if you read the entire bill. So, but I, I'll get more into encryption in a sec because there are other like technical issues with the way this bill is designed and how it would be enacted. There is this sort of benefit to having illegal material that is that is actually exploding miners being primarily hosted on big tech platforms um, because these platforms are used so much and are mostly non-restricted. So it makes catching this stuff and reporting it actually much easier. Like it is, mm-hmm. if they're hosted on these mainstream things, it does make seeing it and reporting less difficult. So not only will this bill make tech companies be more likely just to ban all not safe work material in general, right? Because if companies are forced to scan and if they're going to be filing so many reports, this will, this will result in a lot, a lot more companies just saying, no nude photos at all like just completely gone not only will this bill just make tech companies more likely to ban all not safe for work content in general which would be horrible for sex workers and just a bad precedent but yeah just they would be more likely just to do that because of how much over scanning there would be and just a whole bunch of things it would create it would create too many fears of legal re- repercussions thus you know that would force people who distribute child porn onto more sketchy sites and sites that might just refuse to scan content in general because they're temporary hosting. But the bill could also just scare these bad people off of mainstream platforms 
and make them voluntarily migrate to more niche and hard-to-find corners of the internet, making illegal content harder to catch and take down, because there will always be weird temporary sites to host this type of thing. Like, they're always... Yeah. They're, like, <laughs> these bad people will find a way. It's always... Like, that's it is, it is going to always be a problem. Um, and so, in a way, it's, it is better to have these things on mainstream platforms because reporting them and taking them down can be much easier. Um, it's, it's, like, it's like when people really advocate platforms like Telegram shut down all fascist channels, right? The, the thing is, is that there's a lot of benefits to having these chat rooms on Telegram because it makes them really easy to monitor and really easy to infiltrate. Um, so there's a lot worse places for fascists to organize, um, if you're doing it on Telegram, it's actually really easy to watch. So it's this weird give and take in terms of in terms of where where these things happen, because they are going to happen somewhere. So I now want to talk about how specifically this bill threatens uh, threatens online encryption services. All right. Um, the, the bill would strip critical legal protection for websites, apps, and specifically Section 230. If passed, it would empower many different levels of government to make sweeping new internet regulations, right? In, individual states will be able to pass laws um, to hold private companies li uh, like libel um, as long as they somehow relate their new rules to child abuse uh, materials. It's like they, they will be able to have a whole bunch of new rules on internet regulations if they can sift it through this lens, the goal is to get states to pass these laws that will punish that will punish companies when they deploy end-to-end -end encryption or offer other encryption services. This includes messaging systems like uh, WhatsApp, Signal, iMessage, and as well as web hosting like Amazon Web Services. Um, Earnit aims to spread the use of tools to scan all online content against law enforcement databases, like directly. Um, in a, a myths and facts document distributed by the bill's proponents, it even names a government-approved software program that they could mandate called a photo DNA, which is a program that Microsoft made that reports directly to law enforcement databases. So Earnit doesn't specifically attack encryption per se, um, but that's because it doesn't need to. Uh, it, like it, it doesn't have to because of the way the bill is designed. How it approaches encryption is actually a little more insidious. Um, it allows the fact that encryption exists on the platform itself to be used as evidence against a company in order to find it liable for hosting child sexual abuse materials. So they can use the fact that encryption exists as evidence, which is wild. Like, like yeah, this is what? like this, this, is, this is the thing. This is the thing the CCP does a lot. Like with you know, like they'll, they'll use they'll use the fact that like someone is using uh, a VPN, for example, as evidence that they're a terrorist. Yes. Yes. This happens constantly, and and it's it, it makes a lot of a lot of encryption stuff incredibly unsafe because like you know you show up with your phone, you have signal on it, and the CCP is like, well, you're this 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 is proof. We're just gonna we're gonna lock you up and throw away the key. Yeah, and yeah, it's extremely bad. <laughs> so the result is that laws will make companies liable um, if they don't scan and report user content for child sexual abuse materials, which they can't do unless they break, break encryption. You know, big companies like Apple. Um, are going to fold to to protect themselves. Um, so Earnit would is like it coerces these sites and platforms and services to do this sort of scanning and not just on messages, but all online content, encrypted or not. Um, companies that handle online content would have to weigh the benefit of their users securely encrypting their data content against the legal risk of doing so. Um, and encryption becomes much harder when it you know puts the company's bottom line at risk. 
And 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 like end to end end to end encryption isn't just for messages, right? It's it's not just on Signal. It mm-hmm. secures most of the internet, or yeah. at least at least a lot of it. Keeping what you do allegedly, you know, private and safe online, you you can't have a secure internet where all of the content is also screened, because you can't have end to encryption alongside mass scanning requirements it's just it so this isn't just an attack on encryption it's attack on any fund of fu- fundamental security that the internet you know has yeah and you know th- there's lots of like god there are lots of extremely technical reasons why this is an extremely bad thing yes. like it's like okay yeah like you 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 th- you think malware is bad now like oh gosh like look at like the 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 things the things that will happen like you 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 think people are stealing apes now like the things that will happen if you have to if you if, if you have to deal with an internet that's unencrypted are you know like yeah just, no it's be- an absolute horror show yeah like if yeah like i i, so- I yeah it's this this is a thing bad enough that like i i do not have the words to express how catastrophic this would be because yeah just the fundamental structure of the internet it really is not just for messages like the internet uh myths and fast document also like specifically attacks amazon for not scanning enough of its content um and since amazon is the home of amazon web services which hosts a huge number of websites that implies that like the bill's aim is to ensure that anything hosted online also gets scanned like 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 everything the online service providers even the smallest ones will be compelled to scan user content with government approved software like photo dna um and if earn it supporters succeed in getting large platforms like cloudfare and amazon web services to scan they may not even need to compel smaller websites because the government will already have access to the data through the cloud platforms so like as, as long as they get you know these big hosting platforms they don't even like they won't even need, need to bother with a lot of sm- with a lot of smaller sites i i think there, there's another thing i think that's probably worth mentioning here which is uh, so we don't really have like the time to fully go into this in this episode, but like there's a, a lot of this sort of stuff is being pushed by these in, like incredibly right wing evangelical anti porn groups. Yes, and their goal is just to eliminate anything that is not like part of their sort of fundamentalist Christianity. Yes, from the internet. Yep. And those people, and this is this is particularly relevant to this because those people are going to find a way to 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 to. To, to like to to bring lawsuits against these companies specifically so that they specifically so that they can do this because this is you know what what you, oh, yeah. what you've done is you just handed them a gun. Porn and, sites will all be taken down yeah. because they'll be because they'll be facing so many endless lawsuits. Yeah. Um. Like only like OnlyFans will no longer host ethical porn. Like like not none of this will have like all of it will be taken down. No one like there this will uh, this will attack sex workers to such an absurd degree. Um. It'll make base. It'll make a lot of if not most online sex work, just impossible because there will be so many lawsuits always happening that companies will just always ban it just because they can't, they can't risk dealing with all those legal fees. Um, it's, it's yeah. And, and, and in the fact that state prosecutors and private attorneys will be able to drag an online service provider into court over accusation that their users committed crimes and then use the fact that the service chose to encrypt, uh, like, ch- like chose to use encryption um, at all as evidence against them is the fact that that's a strategy specifically allowed under Earn It will like makes the possibilities of this type of thing just endless. Like, like imagine, imagine, like they'll be able to take down Signal 
so easily because like it's 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 wild like all if they can if they can find one instance of you know as like as like a of of an abuser uh using signal or has used signal then basically all of signal's encryption will be severely threatened um because of the way that legal fines will be forced onto this company it's it is it's like specifically for stuff based like for any kind of any any service allowed in the states and yeah it's really frustrating because you know people including senators um who are pro earn it say that the new tools are necessary to tackle the issue of online child abuse and the and the distribution of illegal materials online but you know obviously like possessing viewing or distributing um child porn or child sexual abuse materials is already written into law as a as a serious like yeah, as an like, extremely serious crime. It's with, like it's like the a, most illegal thing you can do. Yes, and it has a broad framework of existing laws yeah. seeking to eradicate it. Right? People cannot like companies can already get in federal trouble if they're fined if if, if they're found to continue uh, if like you know if stuff is found and they continue to host it or if their goal if like their stated purpose is to host it like like some of the most trouble you can get into um yeah. at least at least like on the books um because you know you can you can look at you know how many cops are involved with this type of thing as like yeah. evidence being like oh like like for, as evidence that like it doesn't like it may not get enacted upon always there was there was a horrible story recently of a, a teacher who sorry this, this is this is this is this is going to be quite graphic um but of of a like skip ahead like a minute or two if you don't want to um of a teacher who fed students um, food containing um, her husband's semen. Um, her husband was a cop, and th- her and her husband, again, who was a cop, uh, and a, the, the also the leader of a SWAT team, um, had raped multiple children. Um, as like it had and had had, had pictures of children, um, and like like b- both of them were doing this together. So like yeah, that's like the leader of a SWAT team. So like police, <laughs> like the fact that like if you if you look at the people often doing this type of stuff, it's cops a lot of the time. A, yeah. a lot, like the like cops rape so many um uh, kids that that they that they arrest and detain. It is yeah. shocking. Like you 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 can Google this every week and you'll find you'll find like new reports of it it is it is it is horrific um and you know online service providers that have actual knowledge of an apparent or imminent violation of current laws around child sexual abuse materials are required to report it or they will face legal trouble um yeah like you you could you can kill people and get in less trouble with the law than than you will get if 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 you intentionally do this stuff like th- there are scenarios where you can kill people where you won't get in trouble with the law. There is no scenario where you do we you you like you you intentionally do like you intentionally do this stuff where you will like un- unless you're a cop with like a, with the, with the legal protection of your other cops won't rat you out. Yeah. Like yeah, or you're is, like very very rich. Yeah, like you know un- 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 unless un- unless you have extra legal protection. Yeah, like you are fucking going to vanish. So, yeah, like we already have a lot of stuff to deal with this and the methods proposed by Earnit would not only chip at the last semblance of, of, of privacy online, but it would all, but it would arguably make actually combating real instances of online check of, of online child abuse a lot more difficult. It would pressure distributors and abusers um, into harder to find corners of the Internet that don't fall under big tech companies 
um, plus the massive increase in content scanning would produce so many false flags, it would clog yeah. up any efforts to find actual materials because so much stuff is going to get flagged, right? It's yep. gonna, you're going to get a wave of so many images that you, that you have that, that you have to sort sort through and figure out if the people in it actually are underage because a lot of people who look thirty and sorry, sorry, a, a, a lot of people that are thirty can also look underage sometimes, like like with lighting, with effect, like it, it, it is it 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 will be a it, it's gonna it's gonna like be such a task um and we can already see this in effect with new scanning techniques used by facebook they've that have produced millions of reports to law enforcement most of them inaccurate um yeah and of and, course and, federal law enforcement use uses this massive number of, of reports produced by low quality scanning software to you know suggest there's a huge uptick in these images thus you know armed with misleading statistics the same law enforcement groups make new demands to break encryption um or with earn it hold companies liable if they don't scan user content the, the scanning algorithms right like you know okay th- this, this is an oversimplification but like to to to, to conceptualize why this is a bad idea like these these are these like this is the this is the same stuff that like you know how you know how there's there's those there's those like trending topics on twitter yeah and they'll they'll, they'll show you a tweet and the tweet will be like i don't know they'll, they'll, they'll be there'll be someone talking about a subway sandwich and it'll get like it'll it'll it'll, it'll show up under trains right because yes, it's the subway yes, like exactly. it's the, this this those are the algorithms that they want to fucking run the entire internet through i have see i have seen some like, very i've seen some very erotic bell peppers um yeah. and like it's it's, it's going to like that these things will, aren't aren't going to be good um and like independent child protection experts are not asking for systems no. to read everyone's private messages rather they recognize that children particularly children that might be abused or exploited actually need encrypted and private messaging just yeah. as much if not more than the rest of us like no one including the most vulnerable among us can have privacy or security online without strong encryption yeah. um and the earn it act doesn't really just target big tech it, what it does is it targets every individual internet user, treating all of us as potential criminals who deserve to have every single message, photograph, or document scanned and, you know, compared against a government database, like, directly, directly to law enforcement. Um, and since direct government surveillance would be, you know, blatantly unconstitutional and provoke public outrage, um, earn it to use as tech companies, you know, from the largest ones to the smallest ones, as its tools to kind of bypass that constitutional, like, barrier um because yeah if you if you if you if you if you hit the tech companies where it hurts they will not allow this type of stuff at all like and this is also this you can you know you cannot deny that this is also just part of a larger effect to ban porn um and yeah. just to ban any kind of sex work online as well like you, you cannot deny that this is this is this is definitely an ingrained part of this particularly with a lot a lot of its supporters and of course you know senator lindsey graham appealing to that side of the Republicans, this is, this is a, a, a big part of just trying to, you know, remove porn and remove, um, you know, any not safe work for material from being hosted online. So the strategy is to get private companies to do the dirty work of mass surveillance. Um, you know, it's the same, it's the same tactic that governments tried to use this year, trying to, you know, convince Apple to subvert its own encryption and scan all of its users' photos. Um, it's the same strategy that the U- that the UK law enforcement is using to convince the British public to give to give up their privacy, having spent uh, pu- public money on a, a laughable public publicity campaign that demonizes companies that use encryption. Um, so that that's really how it's operating. Um, I, I do want to shout out 
um, uh, uh, the EFF for uh, providing a lot of the kind of research that I used for compiling stuff on the, on this episode. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, EFF. Um, you often often do good work. Uh, that's the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They they focus a lot on like internet privacy issues. Um, and I I do want to point people to a uh, a link tree. It is a, a, a you know l i n k t r dot e e slash stop earn it. Um, so yeah, you can find different ways to um, you know if you're the type of person that enjoys calling representatives or something. It has it has <laughs> links for that kind of thing. It has links to send you know auto, auto, automated messages onto your representative to, to vote no on the Earn It Act. It has stuff, you know, if, if you're the type of person that enjoys signing petitions, um, it has it has more info on what Earn It is and what it does, um, and a whole, a whole bunch of other stuff around, you know, organizing to help stop this bill. There's like Discord channels that have people organizing to to stop this bill. Um, links links for it on that. It has info on like actions you can take. Um, so yeah, I I would uh, if if you're interested in like looking for the different ways that can maybe you know contribute you know no, no single person can make an impact but you know enough people uh, enough people can um so yeah that's linktree slash stop earn it um and then also again another shout out to the eff yeah i, I wanted to make i want to say two closing things before before we close this out one uh if if, if you think that if you think that once you're handing the entire contents of the internet over to the government to run through scanning algorithms, that the only thing they're ever going to scan for is child pornography, I have nope. an <laughs> NFT to sell you. It is a picture of a bridge. Uh, once once you buy this NFT of the bridge, you will own the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, contact contact me for more details. Uh, the second thing <laughs> is that, um, you know, when, when we talk about like when, when we, we talk about anti-porn stuff, when we talk about how. You know, the, 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 the way you get around this is by banning all non-suited for work content, right? The other thing that almost immediately gets banned, inevitably, when, 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 when companies, for, for whatever reason, and, and this is true just of, of, of companies that are trying to comply with, you know, like the App Store, or stuff like that. Like when, when, whenever you yeah. get target things that target not suited for work content, they they inev- inevitably, inevitably, without fail, target queer content. Yeah, queer content absolutely. that has literally nothing nope. at all through yeah. sexuality, because that's you know this is this is this is this has always been like accusing queer people of of being child predators has been the attack line on queer people. Queer people for, are always on the front line of all of this stuff. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they will always be the first people in, in, impacted. They'll be the first people demonized even if even even if it's not even not safe for material if it, if it has if it has nothing to do with it it will still always yeah. always be impacted more than basically any anyone else yeah and i mean we've, we've been seeing this on youtube like constantly yes like yes lots of lots of people who just you know make trans content queer That's just channels like are it, always being banned yeah. or demonetized yeah yep. yep marked as adult content like yeah it's it's horrifying and if, if if you want an internet not even just if you want an internet that has like sex on it. If you want an internet that has queer people on it, right, expressing themselves in 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 any way that's not like literally just it's straight person, but you say queer, right? If 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 that's a thing that you think is valuable, and and if and if you think that you know it is important for queer people to be able to express themselves for their own health and safety, like you have to oppose this. Yes, you absolutely. Um, 
I guess the one, one final thing I'll add, because I know someone will probably message me about it. Um, there is a slate opinion piece by somebody saying that this bill would actually let child abusers walk free because they could use the fact that this bill essentially um, you know, uh, compels companies to do scanning software via via government like mandate because of this bill. They would that because because in their mind this could possibly violate the, the Fourth Amendment. This would allow abusers um, the evidence that they was collected to prosecute abusers to become invalid in court. So this would actually also make the this would just make this would make make the bill. Um, uh, uh, you know, actually make people walk free. I do, do not agree with this take. I don't think that's how it would work out at all because especially for, you know, you can use this for like political organizing. You can use this for a lot of, like you can use the same argument for a lot of cases and it never works out that way because the government does not care about that sort of thing. Um, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's not, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, I mean even, like again, even like, if things are get violated, yeah. like in, in theory, that does not, no, that's no yeah, way. The, like, the, like they, they illegally yeah. seized, you know, Ted Kaczynski's, you know, uh, uh, you know, like evidence, and yeah, no, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's that, that's that's not gonna matter because then this bill would be seen as a good thing because it would prevent people from, you know, then encryption wouldn't be necessary because then none of the evidence that people would, you know, ha- would have gathered would ever be admissible in court, and that is that they would never design the bill like that. That that's yeah, not that's not no, the case. Yeah. I, I I I disagree with this take. So do not send me this article saying actually yeah. it's going to have this happen because I I I do not believe it no, because no. this this assumes that the government operates like like coherently and operates yeah. like you know like no the the government just does does not care. No, like again, like the the the, the first amendment is superseded by traffic law. Yeah. Like no, you you know that you're not going to be able to use no. This this isn't <laughs> no. This, like, this, this will no. not secretly let abusers go free. This is not secretly a good thing because it'll make all evidence inadmissible in court. Bullshit. Anyway, anyway, I'll give a final shout out to the Linktree sla- uh, Linktree slash Stop Earn It. Um, that's L I N K T dot E R slash Stop Earn It. Um, if you're the type of person that likes doing those types of things. And also it has like links to like discord channels for other types of organizing beyond, you know, petitions and calling and senators and sending messages and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that is the episode. Um, thank you for listening. (laughs) I I just thought, I just thought this is, this is, this is an important thing enough that I haven't seen enough. I have not seen enough people talking about the earn it act and the way it does seriously threaten digital privacy. And because it was, um, uh, approved by the Senate Judiciary Committee to be pushed forward. Um, it is actually chugging along on the slow legal process. So it, it, it's gotten further than what it got in 2020. So I thought it was actually worth talking about, yeah. um, you know, for pr- privacy issues, how it affects queer people, how it affects sex workers, um, and all all that general thing. So Yeah, and, and I also, I want to... You know, the, it, it, it's very easy to feel hopeless with this kind of stuff, but like we've beaten legislation like we this have. before. Like, Absolutely. Like, I, I, like one, one of my one of my formative childhood experiences was when, was when we beat when we beat SOPA and PIPA. Like, yep. we can beat them. It takes it takes a lot, takes a lot of mobilization. But yeah, like we 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 we, we I I know we can I know we can beat this because we've beaten things like it before. Agreed. All right, that does it for us today. If you want to find us on a currently. More secure than what it could be, Internet. You can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at uh, Cool Zone uh, Media um, and Happen Here Pod. I think apparently Instagram, too. So that's cool if you're an Instagram person. Good, good for you, because Twitter Twitter is bad. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hungry Bowtie. 
Um, yeah. yeah you can find me at it me chr3. Uh, you can you can indeed. Yeah. That that does it for us. Um, encryption. Hey. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here. Um, Obviously, as I'm sure everyone is being bombarded with, the war in Ukraine is uh, in its fifth day right now, something like that. Um, We just passed 96 hours. Uh, by some accounts, more than 300,000 people have been made refugees. Those are going to be very inexact numbers, but it's it's likely to be somewhere between like 50 and 100,000 people per day being made refugees, and it's possible that's going to last for the foreseeable future. Much of the coverage that you will have seen at this point um, is going to focus on heroic pieces of, of, of resistance, you know, things that Ukrainian civilians picking up arms, throwing Molotov cocktails, Ukrainian soldiers destroying Russian armored columns. Some of that's going to be propaganda. Some of that, a decent amount of that's actually happening. Obviously, we have a fair amount of documentation. But what I think has not gotten nearly as much play is the situation 
at the border of Ukraine and Poland. Um, because uh, this refugee crisis is enormous, but it's also not sexy. And it points to a number of things that are ugly about some of the stuff that people like to celebrate in this conflict, including the conduct of President Zelensky, who has, I think, handled himself objectively well as a wartime leader and who has also, as you'll hear in the interview that's about to follow, made some decisions that have had a catastrophic impact on people's lives. So this is an interview conducted by a journalist, uh, James Stout, who is working with us on this project and with an, another project that will be launching soon with a person, uh, an individual, an American who was uh, – well, has a couple of different passports, but with a, a, a person who was in Ukraine when the invasion began and left and eventually wound up leaving on foot with tens of thousands of, of other people uh, for the Polish border. So this is a story of what it is like to flee a country at the beginning of a war, um, and and the realities that increasing numbers of Ukrainians are going to be facing every single day. So please listen. Hi there. Hey, Manny. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Sorry to keep you up late. I'm sure you're exhausted. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I actually just arrived at a new hostel in a new city, um, and uh, I'm going to be up for a couple more hours anyway, so it's a good time to talk. Nice. Great. Uh, do you mind if I record this? Go ahead. Cool. Excellent. Um, let me just explain what we're going to do. So I'm uh, I'm writing a piece for NBC on the, uh, the the refugee situation that's emerging, and then I'm also uh, helping to make a podcast for iHeartRadio uh, about a similar thing. So uh, if it's okay with you, we'll use the audio for one, and then some of your words for another. Absolutely. How is my audio coming through? It's great, actually. It's really, really good. Um, are you on Excellent. a telephone or are you on a computer? I'm on a telephone right now. I don't have a computer with me. Cool. No, you're doing really well. Uh, if you're on a computer, I'd ask you to record a backup, but uh, this is just fine. I'm recording. Uh, so, yeah, like, um, it seems like you've had a pretty exhausting 48 hours now. Um, so if we go back to when you were in Kiev, right? Uh, so I was in Kiev a few days ago. I was in okay. Kiev... Um, uh, eight days ago, um, and then I went to Lviv uh, four days ago. Okay, uh, and had you? Been, how long had you been in Ukraine? I had been. I've been in Ukraine, or I had been in Ukraine in total for one week. Okay, so yeah, not that long. It, uh, and you, so you arrived in Kiev. You went to Lviv. Can you remember like where you were when you found out that the invasion was happening and that it was going to go past Donbass and into Ukraine? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I woke up on the morning of 24 February uh, to the sound of air raid sirens outside, and it was a very confusing sound. I had never heard air raid sirens in real life. I just heard them in movies and television shows and such, and I knew immediately what had happened. I didn't even have to check the news. Um, and I did check the news soon afterward, and there were bombings all over the country. There were reports of bombings in ivana Frankivsk, which is a uh, city 100 kilometers south of Lviv, where I was. And there were so many rumors flying around. Uh, there were rumors that the Russians were com coming to Lviv at that moment, which was not the case, but can still be the case very soon. Anyway, so uh, we he I heard these, these air raid sirens as I woke up, and I shook awake my roommate, who's a British journalist, um, and I told him we might be bombed any minute. Uh, so we went outside to try and find a shelter. Um, pretty much still in our night clothes, we went outside to try and find a shelter. And there were loudspeakers saying, uh, 
everybody remain calm, find shelter, help the elderly, stockpile water. And it was repeating this on repeat. And people were shuffling along. There was a sense of uh, muted panic. So it wasn't outright panic, but it was a sense of uh, urgency, I guess you could call it. And um, we were at war. And that was when I realized that uh, Ukraine was being invaded at that very moment. Wow. Yeah, it sounds dramatic. And at that point, you went to the shelter, I'm guessing. So did you spend some time there before making the decision to head to Poland? So after about 15 minutes, the air raid sirens stopped. Uh, the news generally came around the city that Lviv was not about to be bombed. But nevertheless, a massive uh, exodus of people began from Lviv at that moment because, okay, we're safe for now, but for how long are we safe uh, was the general sentiment that was around. So um, everybody just started making for the train station, the bus station. Uh, they got into their cars. Uh, people were just leaving. Uh, there were huge lines at the ATMs. There were huge lines at the uh, uh, grocery stores. People were buying non-perishables. Um, it was just a, uh, not a panic full out, I would call it, but it was an urgent departure. It was an urgent exodus that was happening. Uh, and so me and my roommate, we went to the train station, uh, waited in line for two hours to see if there were tickets. There were no tickets. We went to the bus station. We waited in line for one hour to see if there were tickets. There were no tickets. Um, and so then we started to get a little worried because it was noon on the day of the invasion. Russian forces were everywhere in the country. There were bombings everywhere in the country and we had to leave and there was no viable means to leave. The airport was closed. Of course, the airport was being bombed a few hours later. Um, and so we tried to look into car hire. We tried to see if we could rent a car. We tried to see if we could take an Uber or a Lyft or a blah, blah car, which is the Ukrainian uh, version of Uber. And uh, none of those options were available uh, because everybody was thinking the same thing. And in a sense of almost resigned despair, we decided that it would be best to just start walking west and see what happened. And it was around noon when we began to walk west. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go. So when you, you set off to walk, did you just sort of take what you could carry? And was that sort of what most people were doing? Or did you get the sense that at least the people were like preparing for a long period of time away when they left? The people certainly were not preparing for a long period of time away. The people were not preparing for war. Um, for the longest time, President Zelensky and the Ukrainian government maintained that there would be no war. They called indications of war alarmist. They called them uh, ludicrous. And uh, it was only in the final 24 hours that everybody sort of woke up and said there's going to be a war. So I remember the last day before the invasion, people were getting ready, people were waiting at the ATMs, people were buying groceries, people were packing. But it was not before, before that time, nobody was getting ready for the war. And so when the war struck, everybody, uh, everybody just sort of left hastily. And it was a terrifying departure, a sudden and terrifying departure, because people didn't know what to do. And they just sort of grabbed what they had and they ran. Luckily for me and my roommate, we were traveling with, you know, just one pack or so, uh, because we were, we were not living in Ukraine. Um, and so we were able to just carry what we had on our backs. Yeah. So talk me through that walk then. It's, uh, I think I saw it was like 43 miles. Is that right? That's, that's right. So we did take a municipal bus a little bit of the way. We took a municipal bus, I believe it was five kilometers down the road. Um, five kilometers being like three miles down the road. Um, 
and the total distance from Lviv to the border is 80, uh, 80 kilometers, sorry, 80 kilometers. Uh, so that really did not make a dent at all in the distance. And it was noon when we started. And we knew for a fact that um, that we would not make it before nightfall. And we knew that, and we were terrified of that. So at first we walked along. The countryside was picturesque. It was beautiful. It was indistinguishable from a uh, holiday uh, during springtime. It was a fair, fair weather, it was sunny, um, and no one could even tell that the nation was at war. There was really nobody else uh, walking on the road besides us uh, in the beginning, in the first uh, 20 kilometers, I would say. Um, and then we started seeing long lines at the petrol stations. Uh, every, everywhere was out of gas. There, nobody had gas. Um, there was just no ability to fuel cars. And as a consequence of that, um, cars were running out of gas and they were being abandoned on the side of the road, which caused further traffic pileups. And soon the road was impenetrable to vehicles. Um, and so because of this, uh, everybody started getting out of their cars and walking. And so these families who had planned to escape Ukraine to Poland in their cars and carry their lives with them were suddenly faced with the hard decision of taking what they could carry with them. Yeah, that, that just sounds terrible. That sounds really difficult. Um, I'm sure you saw like older folks and younger people as well, with people sort of um, struggling to, because to, that's a long walk, right? That's not a walk that everyone can do. So that must have been very difficult. It's a difficult walk for a young man and many old women and little children under the age of five were forced on this march uh, because there really was no other option for them. It was either go back to Ukraine and risk being bombed, risk being under uh, Russian occupation, or it was get out of your car and walk in the wintertime with no food or water, no toilet, uh, for 50 miles. Um and it was just this nightmare scenario because all these people were on the road. There were people in wheelchairs who couldn't negotiate the mud. There were mothers with strollers who couldn't uh, get the get the children um, out. And the children were crying. And the children were asking, "Why are we here? What are we doing? Why did we have to leave home and stand and walk 50 miles in the middle of winter?" Um, and the old people were sort of resigned to it. They. There was one old woman uh, I passed who was uh, using a cane and she was hobbling along. She had a backpack. And I asked her, where are you going? Uh, because we were, far, we were a long, long way from the border. And she said, I'm going to Poland. Very simply. It was a very matter-of-fact um, statement. And so these people walked with a sense of duty and a sense of urgency. And um, it was just a very tragic humanitarian scene. Yeah, I can imagine. And that was a major that was a major route that you were on, right? Like a major road that just become impassable. It wasn't one of the bigger highways, but it was, I believe, the M11, the Ukrainian M11, and uh, it runs east to west throughout the country. And uh, yeah, it's one of the major roads. Okay. Yeah. And it had become completely clogged. Yeah. Jesus. So uh, on arrival in in Poland or at the border. Um, I understand that there's some uh, that the men, uh, like broadly defined as like military age, right, eighteen to sixty, I think, aren't allowed yes. to leave because they they have they have to stay in it and enlist. Is that right? Did you see? Yes, the border was absolutely the worst part for that reason. About five kilometers from the border, at the end of our walk, we were feeling relieved. We were feeling like finally we've made it. Ukrainian military patrols started walking by and driving by. And announcing through loudspeakers and announcing with their own voices, um, all men must stay 
Uh, all men between the ages of 18 and 60 have to stay, get out of line now. And so the fathers naturally asked, because there were a lot of fathers who were there to protect their families, to safeguard their families, and to provide for their families. Uh, these fathers asked, how about us? We have, we have little children. We have children under the age of five. How are we supposed to provide for them if you conscript us right here? The Ukrainian army did not care. They pulled them away physically from their families. Wow. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of crying. There were a lot of hurried goodbyes. Brothers left sisters. Mothers left uh, husbands. Um, lovers left each other. People people just left. It was terrifying to watch. Um, yeah, all these men were conscripted immediately into the army. Yeah, I can imagine. And were people at that point like... It seems like they were relatively stoic up to that point. Were, were people sort of resisting that? Like, just were they like sort of sad but resigned to it? Was it a mixture of that? Was that well? That was when the panic began, um, because everybody was sad but resigned to their fate yeah. of walking to Poland, but nobody was prepared for losing all the men. Yeah. Um, so when all the men were lost, when all the men were taken forcibly, and this was public, everybody could see these men being yanked from their families. Uh, people first started yelling at the soldiers. That didn't do anything, obviously. Um, and they they were they were so angry at the soldiers, and the soldiers were didn't care. Um, and then panic began because people realized, oh my God, this this person who was here with us, who was our travel companion, who's our relative, now we have to leave without him. And even more, he's going to the front now, and he is in great danger at the front. So people began pushing. They began shoving. They began being rude to one another. Um, there, there was no sense of empathy among the people at all because it was a panic to get across the border at that point. Right. Um, so there were people fainting, uh, and that was really just overlooked. The, the people who fainted were sort of dragged to the side and left there. And I, I think they, they made it. I don't know if they made it out okay. Uh, they certainly didn't die. Uh, but there were people who were fainting. There were people who were sobbing there were people who were hyperventilating there was vomiting going on it was just this sense of absolute human panic as people just tried to escape in the last uh, in the last five kilometers and especially in the last 500 meters was the very worst wow. so yeah terrible thing to see if you i understand you've stayed in touch with one of the lads who was conscripted right have you heard any yes more from uh, that that was a development from tonight um, yeah tell me uh, about that so while we were walking, uh, about this was about 15 kilometers out from the border, we met a young Ukrainian man, um, and we just got to talking to him because I mean we could relate to him. We were about I'm I'm about the same age as him, um, and so I uh, we were just like sort of talking about our lives, and it was almost as if the war wasn't going on. And then we got to these army checkpoints, um, and they started calling all the men. You have to you have to leave, um, and so. My friend said, oh, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I don't want to fight in this war. And he tried to, you know, sort of um, stay with us uh, because we were foreigners. We were not, we were not eligible to be conscripted. Right. So he sort of tried to stay with us. He was, um, he was a student. He was trying not to fight in this war because he had a life elsewhere. He had a girlfriend uh, who, he, who he was traveling with. Um, and so we, we were walking with him and I said, hey, do you want to do an interview? He said, sure. Um, and I started talking to him on camera and then a soldier came by and yelled in his direction, Hey, you get out of line. And, um, he said, I'm sorry, I have to go. And he just gave me this look like this despairing look. And he went with the soldier. Um, so the, uh, two days later today, tonight, 
uh, he messaged me on Instagram and he said, because uh, we, by the way, we had exchanged contact information while we were talking. Um, he messaged me on Instagram and he said, hey, I saw that you mentioned me in, uh, in your Twitter because I told him about the Twitter as well. Um, and he said, just letting you know, I'm safe uh, in Lviv. I'm not in the East fighting the Russians. Um, I am in Lviv and I am safe. And it is my knowledge that he may have escaped conscription because he would otherwise be in the East. But um, I'm not sure. Uh, I just know that he is safe right now and he confirmed that he was safe. Okay. So, so yeah, so, yeah, you're not sure whether he's sort of doing training or whether he's in some rear echelon role or if he's managed to get out of it somehow. I know that he has managed to escape the brunt of the fighting with the Russians. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good for him, but uh, still a terrible thing to have to deal with. So, it's my understanding, is there visa, there's visa-free entry into Poland right now, is that right? That people can walk across the border? Yes, the, the entry into Poland was an absolute breeze compared to the exit from Ukraine. I don't know why, but you have to wait in a long line in Ukraine for an exit visa, just for permission to leave the country. And so, as I mentioned, that was the worst part, because they were only letting... 10 people out every 20 minutes, 10 people get an exit visa every 20 minutes, and there were at least 2,000 people at the border with us. Wow. And so that's that's where this panic happened, is because every time they open that gate, 20, every 20 minutes, and by the way, this is like 2 in the morning in the cold weather, and people are, as I mentioned, crying, vomiting, fainting. Um, and so every time they open that gate, the, there was a human crush to get to that gate, and they closed it and they forced the people back. And then it was another 20 minutes before it happened again. And this happened all night long. Um, and this was literally just to get permission to exit the country. It was ludicrous. It was insane. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sorry to divert from your question, but no, it's very interesting. Poland was extremely easy to enter. There was no visa process. They understood. They they let us through. I think they just barely looked at our passports. Um, so, yeah, it was it was easy. Were you at that point, like, obviously you had no plans or, or places to go. So, like, did they house you? Was there some kind of refugee housing that they put you in? Uh, not when I was there. Okay. Um, they did do that. They did implement that about 12 hours after I arrived. Um, but when I arrived, uh, we were greeted immediately, pretty much right out of the border facility with uh, donuts and tea. Um, and so they gave us donuts. They gave us tea. Um, and then they said, hey, there's a bus to uh, Premishil, which is the city about 15 kilometers west of the border um, where all the refugees are gathering. And they said there's a bus to Premishil, leaves every 15 minutes, and we got on that bus. Um, and then we, ended, we arrived in Premishil, and at that time, refugees were responsible for their own accommodation. Uh, we managed to book a room in a hotel with eight other refugees um, in the room. Uh, and so I was sleeping in this, this room with eight other refugees. They didn't want to talk to me. They were kind of despondent. They lost everything. And so they were just very sad the entire time uh, that I was there. Yeah. Uh, but Go to ahead. answer your question about housing real quick, uh, about 12 hours after we arrived, they began setting up tents for the refugees. And that is where many of the refugees are living now are in tents. Okay. Is that, do you know if that's a Polish government or the Red Cross or is that citizens of Poland? I have no idea which organization did that, but I can tell you that I did not see a single Red Cross or United Nations representative while I was in Poland. Okay, interesting. Yeah, they can be sometimes a little slow to react. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 
You then stayed in that hostel. You, you weren't able to really talk to the people there. It's understandable. They probably had a very, very difficult 24 hours. Um, we all had had, yeah. So yeah. Was, I mean, no talking was being had, pretty much. Did you get a sense when, as you met the people walking there, crossing the border, etc., were people, did they have plans to be gone from Ukraine? Were they thinking, where can I stay for a long period of time? Were they thinking... I'm going to wait this out in Poland and see. Right. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that a good half of the people that I spoke to in that in that convoy, in that refugee uh, caravan, had relatives either in Poland or elsewhere in Europe. Um, and so they were all, they had all called their relatives and they had arranged uh, them to go to Western Europe and meet their relatives. Okay. Yeah. So they've got a place they're planning to, to at least yes however another half of them have no plans whatsoever and they're terrified and those are the refugees that i stayed with in that hotel last night um is that they're terrified and they have no place to go yeah right and no one's really provided them with one yet um no yeah that's difficult and it seems like i don't know it'll be interesting to see how the united states reacts because it hasn't really done very much so far um, it's amazing. I heard that the, the reason I crossed at that place rather than any other place is that I heard that the U.S. Army was there and I did not see the U.S. Army. I searched for them and I did not find them. So I don't know where the U.S. is. Okay. Yeah. You haven't seen any, any evidence of like any, seems like no sort of, uh, NGOs or government sort of aid for refugees yet then. It's kind of surprising. As I mentioned, I haven't seen any UN representative, any Red Cross representative, any WHO representative. Um, uh, I haven't seen any NGO or governmental representatives. I did see, of course, Polish re- government representatives at the border, but that was about it. Right. Is that from Polish people? Do you get a sense of sort of solidarity? Like how- yes. Okay, good. Talk, talk yes, about uh, how safety. So it, it was actually amazing to see. It was heartwarming to see the citizens of Prezmendil are now swamped. Their population has been uh, doubled or tripled by the uh, incoming Ukrainian refugees. And yet they are showing great amounts of solidarity. I actually attended a solidarity rally today um, where the citizens of Prezmendil got together and they said, Ukraine is our, our brothers and Putin is clearly in the wrong and we will stand with them. We will show solidarity with them. And that, that was heartwarming to see. I talked with a few of those uh, polls at that rally, and they said, yeah, we knew this was coming, and we prepared for it, and we are ready to take in as many as is necessary. Yeah, that's really nice to hear, actually, that these people are sort of showing solidarity with each other and support with each other. And, yes. Yeah, so when you were on your way west, I presume that like the uh, the conflict didn't catch up with you right you weren't sort of subject to like indirect fire or you didn't see any of that no however there was um about 50 kilometers behind us a bombing as i mentioned uh we did not hear it uh but there were reports of the fighting going on all the time but it did not catch up to us while we were in that uh while we were in that caravan and um it would have been absolutely terrifying if it had but i'm glad that it didn't right yeah and then so you've been there for about a week. Had you previously been doing some reporting in Ukraine? Uh, I have never done reporting in Ukraine before, but when I came to Ukraine and the war had not yet started, uh, I was mostly just doing interviews with civilians about what they thought about the possibility of war, about what they thought about the war in Donbass. Um, most, a lot of cultural stuff. It was kind of boring. I mean, not that, not that war is interesting or fun, but 
it was uh, not really much of a story. Um, so I was just doing interviews with people about basic Ukrainian things, and then the war found us. So right, and it seemed to have come as much of a shock to them as it did to to the rest of us. As I mentioned, nobody was prepared for war until about 24 hours before it hit, and that's when the Ukrainian government said, "Yes, there will be a war," and everybody began sort of to have a sense of urgency about them. Right. Did you see any of the like citizen militias and citizens preparing for defense, like the people who decided to stay? Yes. Uh, I didn't see any of the militias, but I was, went into a Ukrainian gun shop in Kiev, and there was a line uh, almost out the door. People were buying guns. Um, and I asked one of the people in the line, uh, why are you buying a gun? And he said, if the Russians come, I want to be prepared. So. Uh, a lot of people are buying guns privately in Kiev, uh, at least as of last week. Okay, so they they weren't waiting for the government to supply them; they were supplying themselves with guns. I believe I believe the government supply was a rather uh, um, sudden decision. I don't think the Ukrainian people were counting on it, and so they were supplying themselves. Right. And they're buying like uh, like Kalashnikov to the rifles, or like we talked about hunting <laughs> rifles. And... Uh, yeah, you can't buy Kalashnikovs in a gun store. They were buying okay. sort of hunting rifles and shotguns. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly under-equipped. All right. So they they were just prepared to try to get anything they could get their hands on to look after themselves and their families. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I bought pepper spray. <laughs> yeah. Better than nothing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there was there was. Did you see like of the people you walked with? Was it did families tend to leave as a whole, or did did some folks sort of say, right, I'm going to stay behind and fight, or I'm going to stay behind to stay and look after a house, and, and you should leave? Did you right. get a sense of that? The vast majority of people traveling were families as a whole. There were very few single travelers or partial families traveling. It was, I think that people wanted to stick together, and so it was the vast majority of people traveling were families. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah, they all stayed or, or left. Do you get a sense of how many people... You said about 2,000 people were there at the border. Like, of what proportion yes. of the city decided to leave for Poland? Not all the people at uh, the border were from Lviv. Um, a lot of them have been traveling since that morning from Kiev uh, and other cities in uh, central western Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, I was talking to people at the border, and a lot of them were from Kiev. A lot of them were from uh, Zaporizhia. I'm pronouncing that wrong. A lot of them were from Ternopil or ivano Frankisk um, or Odessa. And uh, so I, I would not have any sort of conjecture on what percentage of the city. Also, it was still pretty early in the crisis yeah. uh, because it was still the first day and it was fewer than 24 hours after the invasion began. So I imagine the numbers are a lot higher now. When you were getting news, right, as you were traveling, etc., were you like on WhatsApp or were people on Twitter? Like, how were they getting news of what was happening? Everybody and absolutely everybody was completely dark during the walk um, because I don't know why, but there was no sense of cell reception. There was no sense of data reception. There was no sense of Internet connection at all during the walk. Oh, wow. And so everybody I met, we, we asked we asked everybody we met, do you have any news? And they said, no, do you have any news? Um, so nobody had any news until we got to the border. Some people had news, but for about uh about 16 hours, we were completely in the dark about what was going on. And that was terrifying because when we left, the invasion had just begun. And we didn't get to, to be updated on the first half day of it. So, right. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and then on arrival, you're faced with this news of this, like, sort of 
blitzkrieg almost right of bombing and armor right yes um i mean we we saw a little bit of it in the morning that day uh well when we when we started out um but it had really accelerated and amplified by the time that we arrived um and the ukrainians were absolutely terrified of this because they did not realize it would happen on such a large scale yeah yeah i think very few people did uh i can imagine if it's in your own country it's petrifying were you there when the fighting began in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, or were you in Poland by then? When did the fighting begin in Chernobyl? Uh, I believe about 24 hours after the fighting began, like, period. I was crossing into Poland 24 hours after the fighting began, period, so I was probably crossing into Poland when that fighting began. Okay, yeah, I was interested to know, especially how sort of the older people, or people who have been alive, you know, the the nuclear accident you know but i was wondering how they right i mean I, i've been talking to plenty of plenty of older people and as i mentioned the older people especially were resigned to this because during the soviet times during the cold war this sort of thing was common um and so the older people knew what was going on and the younger people were the ones who were more panicking that's interesting yeah they they sort of they'd been raised with a fear of that i suppose Right, and this happened in 1989 too. Uh, like, this is the biggest refugee crisis since 1989 because in 1989, uh, when all the republics fell in uh, the Warsaw Pact, uh, so many people took to the roads, and so the older people were used to that kind of thing. Um, but as I mentioned, the younger people were not. So right, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, sort of different reactions, I guess, and then some very young people, obviously unable to understand what's going on beyond that they're, they're leaving their homes, which is sad. Right. And especially the little children had no idea what was going on and it was impossible to explain to them. So nobody did. Um, and so I can't imagine how terrifying this must have been as a child, not knowing why you had to walk uh, dozens of hours in the cold, carrying everything you had. Yeah. It's always the saddest thing to see children in those refugee situations when they you know, obviously don't know what's going on and didn't do anything wrong. Right. Yeah, hopefully they're all safe. Hopefully they're in Poland. Hopefully they can go to safe places. I made several uh, contacts during this trip. And as I mentioned, only one of of them has gotten back to me. So I hope the others get back to me soon. Yeah, that's tough. But you got the sense that everyone, they won't turn back per se. They just uh, might be sort of uh, not in touch because their phones aren't charged or something like that. It's either their phones aren't, aren't charged, or if in the men, men's case they were sent to the east, yeah. or they're too busy trying to arrange accommodations or food for themselves or something. I mean, everybody was just very busy trying to survive. Yeah. So uh, I don't blame them if they don't if they don't hop on social media and get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, of course, um, of course. Yeah, did very very stressful time for everyone. Did you did you hear of anyone who has been sent to the east, either secondhand or like through people you met, people who were at the front already? Um, I do not have any contacts of anybody who was sent to the east. From what I understand, uh, the Ukrainian army has a strict uh, communication, social media sort of policy. And so none of the soldiers that I met, one, wanted to talk to me. I did not talk to any Ukrainian army soldiers in uniform because uh, they had a very strict policy. They could not talk to me. And two, I could not get their contacts uh, for much of the same reason. Okay. So they didn't want to talk to journalists, didn't want to talk to anyone. They were just looking for... Yeah, no, they, they, they were just, they were very stern and they did not want to talk to anybody. So I talked to zero soldiers in uniform during this uh, experience. Okay. Yeah. So where are you now? You've, you've gone further west. west is that right? 
That's right. I took a long bus ride to uh, Krakow today, um, and so I am now in Krakow, Poland. Oh, okay. How are folks dealing? Is it different there, being that little bit more distant? I've already talked to a few people, and uh, well, it's a Saturday night. They're going out to drink, and they uh, they're saying, "Well, yeah, it's it's terrible that this war is happening 250 uh, miles uh, east of us. But what are we supposed to do about it?" So they're going out and drinking. So it's this very um, detached sense here in Krakow, okay. not the same as it was in Freshmanville. Yeah, interesting. So people are living their normal lives, and it's just it's a news item for them. It's, they're not worried right. about any potential right. spillover or fallout. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're not worried. Nice. Um, and will you? do you plan to stay there? What's, what's next for you? So I actually just booked a flight uh, an hour ago. I'm going to be flying back to the States on March the 1st. Okay. Great, yeah. So you can you can come back, and presumably you're like uh, you're a U.S. passport holder, so you could just get. That's how you got through not being conscripted, etc. <laughs> I am not. I'm not carrying a U.S. passport right now. Okay. I'm carrying uh, an Italian passport um, because I'm also a citizen of Italy. And I was told before I left uh, by some friends in the intelligence community that it would look significantly less suspicious to carry an EU passport than a U.S. passport. So. I bought the EU passport. Nice, yeah. And then you can travel freely through the yes, EU. Yes, uh, through Schengen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you know if Ukrainian people can travel, because once, once they're in Poland, can they then move through the Schengen zone freely? Ukraine is not a member of the EU. They're not yeah. a member of Schengen. I do not believe they can move freely. Right. I'm just wondering, like, I could, yeah, it would be, I don't know how their passports would be checked if they're going across some of those land borders, but I think they... I do know that this was, it was an emergency situation right. uh, yesterday, and so that's why they were just very cursorily checked, but I'm yeah. sure it's stricter usually. Yeah, I wonder what that would be like if they, if they tried to exit Poland or if they'll... Uh, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to them. No, I don't think, I, I'm guessing there's been no communication of that that you've seen either, right? Like of what they should do or how to apply for asylum or, or anything like that. I have talked to a few people. They say that they're banking on um, these countries being empathetic to refugees. And I understand. I think that countries will be empathetic to refugees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You certainly, you certainly hope they will. But, so they're just going to hope that those countries, the ones who don't have a country to go to, uh, you get the sense that, yeah, that they'll, they'll apply for asylum wherever they can find a safe place. That's right. Um, and I believe that countries, Western European countries that have been very vocally pro-Ukraine recently, mm -hmm. um, will take them in. So I think that they'll, they'll be safe. Yeah, that's good to hear. I know I've seen estimates of up to 5 million refugees, if, yep. which yeah. would be, uh, I mean, Germany absorbed a million people from Syria, right? It's not, yeah. it's not impossible for Western European countries to do that at all. Uh, but it will. Be, but it would still be a catastrophic crisis, the worst since 1989. Yeah, so. and we, yeah, we have to hope it, it doesn't get to that. Do you get the sense people are still flowing across the border? I know you're a bit yes. distinct from it. Now. I mean, it, it, it's weird because you want to believe that what you experienced and what the people around you experienced was a one-time thing, that it was a one-time incident, that it was one caravan. But this is happening constantly, and it will continue to happen constantly for weeks. Yeah. Are there trains that cross the border, things like that, that people can take, or is it solely that? Yes. So when, it, when I said that I went to the train station in Lviv and there were no trains, <laughs> what was really happening is, yes, there were trains, but all the trains until March, uh, March were booked. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, pe but people can take those trains across, that kind of thing. 
uh, if they try to book right now, they won't be able to find a booking for a while. Okay. So they're already booked up. And by the way, here in Krakow, um, the first two hostels that I went to, the first two uh, places to stay that I went to, were all booked up. And I asked why, and they said Ukrainian refugees. So there are Ukrainian refugees here in Krakow. Okay. Yeah, people are moving there. I'm sure a lot of people want to get as far away as they can. Yeah, so people are just constantly moving west right now. Yeah, or they have friends or family that they're trying to get to or whatever. Okay, yes. Yeah, and I've been hearing the Ukrainian language just constantly on my trip. So that's interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for that. It's a really, really interesting insight. Is there anything else you think from your experience that people ought to hear about? Um, no, I believe I've told you everything. I've I've retold the story uh, dozens of times since it happened, and um, I really hope that I hit all the all the right. Uh, notes here. Um, I, if you if you had to tell anything to the people who were reading or listening to this, um, Ukraine really needs weapons, yes, but they also need humanitarian aid. When I was walking all that distance with all those people, there was not a single sense of uh, food being provided to anyone, water being provided to anyone. There was no chance to go to the toilet. There was often no chance to sit down. If we could give even a chance for these people to eat something, to drink something, to have a minute of solace, um, that would mean the world to them. And so I think that we need to provide humanitarian aid to the refugees as soon as possible. Yeah. And you, you said you didn't see any organizations that you'd suggest people donate to, that you, you didn't see any of that. Is there anyone you can No, recommend? and I, I don't know. I haven't actually done the research into that. I probably should. Um, but I... Uh, I know that the Welcome Committee in Poland were private citizens. They were not part of any NGO or anything. They were private citizens who were welcoming okay. us in. Yeah, I've seen some of them organizing on Facebook, so I'll try and maybe link to some of those or, or something like that so people can support. Right, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. All right, and then is there anything like you'd like to, to plug? Like, do you have, a, you have a Twitter, right? Is there anything else you could tell us what your Twitter is? Um, I mean, so the Twitter that I'm using for this, which you've probably seen, is a temporary one. It was meant only to cover this crisis. I guess my private Twitter uh, plugged that, uh, which is, you've seen that as well, probably. Yeah. Um, it's just my name. Um, yeah, I guess uh, just plug that. And uh, I mean, thank you for everything. No, of course. Um, it's Manny Marotta with two T's, right? Yes, M-A-R-O-T-T-A. Great. Okay, we got that. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time to talk. I uh, appreciate you've had a pretty difficult couple of days, so get some rest. And if there's anything else, any developments, uh, please do let me know. Give me a shout. Teller, thank you. All right, cheers, mate. You have a good evening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. That's, that's, that's the thing. Just take photos of his children walking into the door of their public school. Yeah. Send them to him with a, pro, a pro, uh, Proton, Proton Mail account. Yeah. <laughs> 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 don't, don't let him know what he did to provoke this. Just just frighten him. I do like that all this is being recorded. Yeah, that's that's how you do it. The episode's begun. We're including all of that, Sophie. All of that. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast where we will take pictures of your children entering a public school and send them to you as a threat. But we won't tell you what you're th- we're threatening you over because that's – I don't know what that is. Probably terrorism, technically. I mean, Sophie, s- speaking speaking of <laughs> child abuse, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. oh, great, Garrison, very proud, nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna be we're gonna we're doing an episode to talk about the recent kind of letter and opinion piece that the governor of Texas and the attorney general uh, wrote relating to uh, trans kids in Texas. We're we're also planning like a like a more like a week long worth of stuff kind of going into this issue across not not just the states but also like like in, internationally as well in terms of like the growing kind of war on trans people uh, but because this thing happened we we do want to kind of talk about it now as well uh before we you know spend a lot of time making a week-long worth of uh of, of scripted pieces on it so anyway we're gonna be talking about what happened uh last last weekend or last week at time of recording um, when the, the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton released an opinion piece um, on, I think it was it was uh, Monday the twenty first, declaring gender affirming medical care for transgender children to be uh, child abuse. Um, in response, the next day, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, directed the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services um, to investigate these practices, um, and then kind of on that following Wednesday. The letter that Greg Abbott wrote went viral, detailing both the attorney general's kind of opinion 
that a number of the so-called, quote, sex change procedures constitute child abuse under existing Texas law um, and directing the uh, fa uh, Family and Protective Services to protect these, to quote unquote, protect these kids from abuse. And I hereby direct your agency to conduct a prompt and thorough investigation to any reported instances of these abusive procedures. Uh. Um, and what's really insidious is that like, it's not even, it's like, of course, like there is not gender affirming surgery done on minors anyway. That does no. not happen. Um, but the, but this letter actually does um, go into, um, it says uh, it's, it says, uh, according to the gener attorney general opinion, it is already against the law to subject Texas children to a wide variety of elective procedures for gender transitioning, including reassignment surgeries that can cause sterilization, removals of otherwise healthy body parts, and administration of puberty-blocking drugs or doses of testosterone or estrogen. So it's not, it, it is also including HRT, including puberty blockers, which, again, we already give to cisgender children all the time. Um... Puberty blockers are given to kids who have early onset puberty who are cis, um, but it's now including puberty blockers inside, like constituting that in its in and of itself as child abuse, which is kind yeah. of a, an escalation of things that we've seen before. Um, yeah, and then it's also uh, talking about how Texas law imposes reporting requirements upon all licensed professionals, um, including doctors, nurses, teachers, therapists. And provides you know criminal penalties for failure to report things. So like it is that 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 was that was the the, the that was the main part of the of the letter that went viral detailing the different the different ways that they're trying to harass, intimidate, and um, introduce possible legal legal repercussions to parents and um, you know caregivers who support transgender youth inside the state of Texas. <sighs> Yeah, um, it is. Like, it is like the perfect example of the thing these people always do when they make laws based on their bigotry, which is like reflexively make a law based on whatever is like the fucking Twitter talking point that they've been yelling about, and then don't consider all of the different things that it's going to do that have nothing to do with the group of people they're trying to hurt. Yeah, because um, in lots yeah. of cases, this is just gonna. It's it's not even gonna. It's it's gonna impact a lot of like queer people in general, right? Because it's, it's yep. in terms of like reporting things that seem outside the mainstream. So not even necessarily transgender, not even necessarily transgender people, not even necessarily queer people as well. Like there's a lot of like you know I I, I and if definitely when I was growing up there was a lot of like cis girls who enjoy dressing more like butch or tomboy. Um, you know there's there's a and there's a whole bunch of stuff that will just affect like kids in general. Um, with all of this reporting and all of this like and making making these like procedures and like hormone treatments uh, like you know to trying to make them seem like they're legal because that because again like the actual texas law has has not changed it is it is the it is this is an opinion piece invest uh, directing the uh, child protective services to investigate these things so the actual law in the books hasn't changed what it has done is caused a whole bunch of like a possible legal danger um and a massive headache and just a whole bunch of like legal harassment against yeah. parents and kids. And that's what it's going to, that's what's going to result in. Cause it's, it's unclear what this, what the governor's directive is going to actually practically look like. Um, cause in the, in the, in a tweet on, on last Tuesday, he said that he's directing, uh, the child protective services to enforce this ruling and investigate and refer to for prosecution for instances of minors receiving affirming care. Um, and then the Texas Protective Services told Time Magazine on Wednesday that it was going to comply with the governor's directive. Um, but in terms of like directing them for prosecution, 
There has been like five Texas district attorneys, um, including the DAs of uh, Dallas County and, and Houston's Travis County. They issued a statement the day after uh, condemning the directive um, and saying that they plan to enforce the Constitution. They're quote unquote, that's what they said, and that they are, quote, deeply disturbed by Governor Abbott's and Attorney General Paxton's cruel directives treating transgender ch- children's access to life saving gender affirming care as child abuse. Uh, We will not irrationally and justifiably interfere with medical decisions made between children, their parents, and their medical physicians uh, to ensure the safety of transgender youth, adding that uh, we will not allow the governor or attorney general to disregard Texas children's lives in order to score political points. So in terms of, you know, there's certain parts of the certain parts of the state where even even if protective services does investigate reports of this. They're not going to get prosecuted, uh, but there will yeah. be other parts of the state where these, they probably will. Um, yeah. Like and because like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, because it is just an because it is just an interpretation of the law, you can still you can still get lots of legal trouble, and it's going to be up to juries and other people to decide on what interpretation of the law is going to be enforced and enacted upon. Um, so you're seeing a lot of people being like, oh no, it's actually okay because the law is not changing. It's just the interpretation. And we're like, well, no, it actually is a big problem. Like it is like, and it's not even, it's just the overall, like it's saying the things that have been gone unsaid for a long time. Like it's, it's, it's making the things that everyone kind of assumed or was kind of the unsaid bigotry, putting it into writing and making it concrete. And it's like the overall escalation of this thing, which is which is is deep, deep, deeply concerning. I mean, it's it's, it's the thing that happened with like COVID uh, restrictions, with, like masks and stuff, where you've got the cities and stuff where you have kind of more rational leadership are saying like we're not a, we're not paying attention to this directive from the governor. We're going to keep having letting people mask, or we're not going to let you, you know, go after businesses that require masks. But with the added dimension of like the rather than it being sort of targeting businesses and schools, it's it's targeting individuals and it's allowing individuals to target other individuals like they did yep. with the Texas abortion law. Yeah. Exactly. And the primary purpose of this is going to be to basically gradually erode the areas in which which trans kids can can live in Texas. Yeah. Like, yep, they'll be able to live in some of the cities for a while at least. Well, and even even in the cities, right? It's like, yeah, okay, so maybe the the DA doesn't prosecute, but that doesn't mean that CPS can't just can't investigate you. And yeah. like, yes. that's that's going to be stuff, a that lot of really traumatic. Yeah, a lot of legal harassment because yeah, I mean, like, DFPS cannot remove any child from their parents or guardians without a court order, and no court in Texas or anywhere in the country has yet found gender affirming care to be considered child abuse. So. It has not happened yet, but they sure want it to happen. And this is these yeah. are the next these are the next steps that can make it happen, right? They they are trying to get there um, with this like incremental this the, the, like these incremental things, you know, starting off with like legal interpretations of the law. Eventually, they would want to change the law just to reflect this opinion, right? Like they want this to happen. They yeah. are just they're trying to slowly, slowly, slowly get at it, um, and it needs to be pushed back upon because yeah any any slow incremental thing that they're going to try to do to make it basically be impossible to live as trans in texas uh and you know, lots of other states as well it's not just it's not just texas there's things like this happening across all of the united states basically especially especially you know portions uh, portions of the south um and it's yeah it, it does play into this kind of overall in the past five years you know once they lost the gay marriage issue they're like, okay, the next line of defense for these people is making it be impossible to be trans. So it is that it's like the new, 
that's the new thing they're going to be really focusing on. And it's, we've seen so many, so many new bills against, uh, against like being trans the, over the course of the past five years. Again, it's, it is more so putting into writing the things that have been always kind of unconscious bigotry or even con conscious bigotry, but it's putting that into actual stone and making it like cemented. Um, uh, you know, just at, just at the start of this year, there was new restrictions put in place for Texas's uh, transgender student athletes playing on K through 12 yep. school sports teams. Um, that that went into effect on January 18th. There was a it was a House Bill 25, authored by uh, Representative Valerie Swanson. Um, requires student athletes to complete an interscholastic competition to play on sports teams that correspond with the sex listed on their birth certificate at or near their time of birth. Uh, which means that the legislation went further than the previous rules from the University of Scholastic League, um, which governs the school sports in Texas, in which uh, the student's gender is determined by their birth certificate. But that that can also be legally modified. You know, like you can change the sex assigned at birth on 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 your birth certificate. the The new ruling is that it needs to be it needs to match the one that it was at or near your time of birth. So again, like they're finding all these little these little small like things to like pry. Um, that just makes things overall be harder it, to live in. Um, and yeah. at this point, like ten, 10 other states have put in very similar laws relating to like relating to, to to school sports and like bathroom bills and yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's the the it's the same thing that authoritarians always do, which is they're just kind of edging further and further and and continuing to proceed as they do not meet resistance. And the goal is to make it illegal and impossible to exist as a transgender person in society. You know, part of what they're doing with the with the wording of how this change in Texas has been announced is they're trying to frame being trans as a contagion that threatens children. And yeah. step one of that under the is is going uh, proceeding under the aegis of we are protecting children by making these kind of surgeries and stuff illegal. But the steps beyond that are eventually banning and restricting the ability of trans people to be around children and eventually be in civil society at all because they're a threat to children. That that That's the, the yeah. logical procession of the arguments that they're making. And I, I think they're proceeding in a fairly um, um, logical way in, in terms of achieving that as a goal. And they're not going to stop until they are stopped uh, by probably force if anything stops it at this point that's that's what it's going to have to be cuz the local government has realized that that's how you get elected because you can't you yeah. can't fix the power grid in Texas you can't provide people with anything that makes their lives easier but you can hurt trans people um and republicans are are will are always down with that it's 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 the thing fascists do where they introduce a false yeah. crisis they introduce a false crisis that they can actually take steps to to you know um make changes about but all that ends up doing is hurting more of the population it doesn't actually solve any issue that actually hurts people um yeah. it's it's one of the core things in the fascist playbook and it's you know, it's even in the states where there aren't just like blanket bans on kids being able to participate in sports teams um there's other horrifying things happening um like in the beginning of february it came out that the uh utah republicans uh propose a uh proposed a commission to analyze trans kids bodies 
Um, yeah. Utah Republicans Jesus introduced the first Christ. of its kind anti-trans sports bill that would form a commission to determine a student athlete's eligibility on a case-by-case basis. The commission would have authority to establish a baseline range for various attributes, including height, weight, body mass, wingspan, hip-to-knee ratio, and other physical characteristics affected by puberty. Bearing trans athletes... Um, who do not fall within the established limits to from from participating in gendered sports, um, and yeah, asking like a, a government appointed panel to analyze the bodies of trans minors, it does sound like a giant recipe for disaster. Um, and there is some even more like horrifying details. The bill would render the commission quote immune from suit. Uh, like lawsuits, with respect to all acts done and actions taken in good faith in carrying out their purposes. Uh, so yeah, you can't sue anybody for what happens under the guise of this commission. So yeah, they're just going to be investigating trans youth's bodies, and yep, you can't, there's no lawsuits allowed. Like, yeah, it's great. It's let, uh-huh. let, 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 let's, let's give the, let's give the trans child abuse, uh, uh, phrenology panel just immunity from lawsuits. Like, yeah. uh-huh. <sighs> yeah, qualified, it's, extend qualified immunity to citizens hurting the group of people that uh we don't think are human like is, this isn't the only way place we're going to see that logic extended towards nope. uh you're already seeing it in places like Louisiana with these bills to make it legal to kill protesters if you feel threatened yeah um like it's it's the same playbook and it's going to be the same playbook because there's no way to fight it without some sort of force you you can't vote these people away Nope. Uh, the courts are packed for the time being. There's, there's only, there, there's not a solution that isn't some kind of force. Now we can discuss: is it like the force of of getting the feds to intervene or whatever? But like, there's no, there's no solution that is just like democratic. I mean, and like Biden's office made a statement on this recent Texas mm-hmm. law, like law opinion interpretation thing. And they're like, yeah, this team is bad. Anyway, good luck. And you're like, yeah. oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that that meme of like the person drowning with their hand up yeah. out of the water. And, and, and they, they high five you as you're sinking. And they high five you as you're yes. sinking. Yeah, that's exactly you know, and, what's and, happening. And I think the situation's like, it's worse than that too. Because, you know, in, in the past couple of weeks, one something we started seeing is we started seeing Democratic journals and Democratic strategists openly talking about how we need to make concessions to the right in the culture war. It's like, okay, well, what, what does that mean? It's like, yeah, throw, throw trans kids under the bus, mm-hmm. right? I yeah, mean, because the, the, they can't yeah. vote. They're already freaks. So yeah, they're the easiest person to pick away at the rights for. Yeah. Um, and because overall, just in the past year alone, more than 100 bills designed to restrict the rights of transgender people have been introduced in at least 33 states. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a record-breaking year for anti-trans legislation that's been, that has been introduced. Um, in Arkansas, the state legislator recently uh, banned gender-affirming treatment for minors, um, including uh, hormone therapy, like, pu- like pu- pu- puberty blockers, and similar treatments. Again, this is the thing that, like, that could not happen for a long time anyway, just because, like, culturally and medically, doctors would never do that. But now, at the point where that start- is starting to change, it is this, it is this like, um, reactive, reactive uh, uh, effect that people are doing. And be like, now, now, now that these cogs are turning, people are putting the massive brakes on it and putting the thing that used to be just unsaid now into actual legal writing. So now this actually is, like, just not allowed, as opposed to it just not happening because doctors were assholes. So yeah, in Arkansas, you can't even receive hormone treatment or puberty blockers. The bill was called the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Yeah, so referring to medical treatment of one, of affirming one's gender identity as experimentation, um, which is not great. I mean, 
that is that is how I view it for myself because I like being a freak. But as an overall trend, that is that is horrible. Like that is a horrible way to to phrase this type of thing for a lot of people, um, especially the people who who know specifically what gender they like want to be and and are. Like that is that affects them so, so differently. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough just to be more gender queerish, um, and but yeah, it's all of these bills are gonna affect so many people in different ways and it's it's real bad like shortly after the arkansas bill prohibiting transforming medical practices was signed into law last april reports of suicide attempts among trans youth in the state uh uh uh, were going up um and uh, the uh dr uh, michelle hutchinson who runs the largest provider of hormone therapy in the state called the ap that uh, just just in her office alone during April, she saw an uptick in suicide attempts from from uh, from trans youth, and this is this is it's going to keep happening. And like there is, yeah. mm-hmm. you can't trust a lot to stop it. Like the, the, the Arkansas governor, um, uh, uh, Asa Hutchinson, a Republican, did veto this bill, citing potentially dangerous consequences for trans youth and telling it that uh, telling reporters that it was a vast government overreach and a byproduct of the culture war in America. And her veto was vetoed by the state legislator. So, like, it's going to be a looping, endless problem of legal issues. So, it's there's there's need to be other things. Like, I've been I've been on Twitter the past week, just watch looking at all the GoFundmes b- by parents of trans kids in Texas who are trying to move out of state so that their mm-hmm. kid can receive like hormone treatment and just like be allowed to be a person without being harassed by child protective services and teachers and the school system. And it's 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 horrifying, like watching all these it, people like asking for help so that they can move out of state so that they can let their kid be a, just a kid. Um, and <sighs> it's it is it is really rough. Um, and a big part of why part of why it's so horrifying is that, like, obviously, if you're in that situation, you can get your kid out there, of course. But it also means the the more people who move out of places like that the less resources there will be in the future for kids yep. whose parents can't get them out, you know, it's, and the less support yeah. there will be, the less. Like, and like, there is just, there is no real escape from it. Like you cannot no. get fully away. It is, you cannot ever fully escape that type of fascist um, thought and creep in within the state le- le- legislator and specifically around, you know, mm-hmm. how it's going to affect different, different classes of minorities. Um, I, I will direct people if you want to kind of learn more about this sort of thing, and if you you know can you can find some some stuff around. Uh, there, there's an organization in Texas called Tent, which is uh, the uh, I just want to make sure I, I say it right. Oh no, uh, it's, it's the Texas Educational Network or the the Trans Educational Network of Texas. Um, it's one one of those, but it is it is a it is a it has a whole bunch of like mental health resources, guides for trans youth in Texas for how to make things slightly less shitty. Um, and yeah, they do, they do some advocacy work in Texas. There's also Equality Texas, which is another organization that does, that does, um, assistance for transgender people, like in schools, um, and just, you know, again, trying to make life slightly less, slightly less shitty. Um, yeah, I kind of, the, the, the the last, the last thing I wrote is the, is, uh, just, uh, fix your hearts or die, which is the kind of overall overall message that you can really only give to people who want to do this type of thing is that, yeah, there's really no arguing with them. Um, you have to, either they need to fix their hearts or not be around anymore. Like, they're, they're just like, whether that be like, they're just secluded to your part of society. But it's, 
Like it, it needs to be actually like resisted upon because these people are never going to back down on their own. The other part of the problem here again is just with how you know th- th- like this this is sort of kind of this is an inherent problem that you have with democracies, right? With with democracies and, and civil rights, where it's yeah, you have a group of people who are an extremely small minority, and you know, and you know, and and, the, and this gets compounded by the fact that you're dealing with extremely small minority of people, and you know, you, you're already dealing with. Like the you know the, the the thing that is called democracy right is only participated in by an extremely small number of people, especially when you get you know especially when you get down to like the the state level and the local level, right? Like very few people are actually voting in these things. The people who are voting in these things like want trans people to die, and so you know you 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 need some kind of other solution to actually secure to secure civil rights because there's just there's there literally are not enough trans people and there are not enough people who support them and care enough to do it and also are in these areas to, pre- to prevent this through just the normal like vote blue i mean like I, I keep seeing this with with texas everyone keeps saying it's like well okay we just got to vote blue and it's like people have been like people have been saying this about stuff in texas for as long as i've been alive it has never mm-hmm. happened ever like it hasn't my entire life like it, they, they keep saying this it keeps not happening and kids keep dying and yeah th- there has there has to be something else because yeah, Otherwise, Texas is going to come back here. Texas has been lab- laboriously constructed as a political entity to stymie all of your liberal dreams of of uh it going purple. Um and and it will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Like you cannot this is not a a voting issue. This is a I mean like I said, some kind of force is going to have to be used to oppose these people. They're not. They're not. They're, they wouldn't listen if you voted them out. You know, and, like and they, they do for like they themselves do for. Yeah. You look at all the Th- stuff they've been doing. That's what this is. Is force. Yeah, yeah. And, and and even like regular people, like this whole like thing of like, yes, you should like report to your neighbors if yeah. you see if you if you see a kid who doesn't look like a regular normal boring cis child, mm-hmm. then yeah, you should report them. You should go harass everyone who works in your school board so that they ban all books referencing anything related to being queer. It's like they they do take steps to actually hurt other individuals. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they can do it through these means that, you know, they don't necessarily have to always punch you in the face, but they can sure direct the state to send agents to your house to, <sighs> yep. to like, to intimidate, harass you and threaten to threaten to take away your children. Yeah. Um, or they can, you know, if you're a therapist or a teacher, you can be fired or put in jail for failing to report, you know, kids who don't subscribe to their christian supremacist ideas of like traditional gender roles um because again it's, it's it's not even all it's like again there's not tons of trans people in general usually so like this is just gonna affect a lot of cis kids as well who maybe don't want to who don't who don't who don't who who just want to dress cool like it's like it's yeah. it's, it's it doesn't even just like it it is it is it does affect everybody um so it is it's a it's a it's a it's a horrible it's a horrible thing that is not even like there's no escape from it and it it, it will affect you whether or not you're trans or not yeah like, and, and i and i i think it's important to also to talk about the mandatory reporting stuff because yeah you know, even like, mandatory reporting in general like even like i've i've had things where i was in a school and my school essentially turned into a police state because there are people who i couldn't talk to about things because of things that happened to me that if if if, if any of them heard it and one time someone did and I had to literally beg them like on my knees not to report me, right? Not not to report the thing that happened to me because if, 
you know, because because if 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 that had been heard, like, and if, and if that had actually been reported, it would have you know it would have started an enormous process, and I would have had to you know, like the the I I I would have had to you know deal with this like this is an institutionalized thing, and that like the absolute terror that th- this kind of stuff creates, where you have to you know, you have to watch every single word that you say around all of the adults in your life, because if you don't do it, they are going to report you. It is it, like the, the, the level of psychological terror you are inflicting on people yeah. is horrific. And th- mm-hmm. that in and of itself just is, is a cost like, and, and, it, and it is something that is, is, is going to contribute to trans kids killing themselves. And it's, yep. it's, it's just that simple it, and that bleak. It, it, it is such a life and death issue. So you have it's, to really be forced to go. It, yeah, it, it goes into like it's like a very like ontological issue as well, um, and it deals with so many things around the nature of like being and what you're allowed to be inside this societal construct. Um, and they're just trying to make that impossible for so many people and yeah. make, it, make everything so limited in their very narrow version of what they want the world to be that makes them feel comfortable. Yeah, and, and and you know because because it's not it's not what the world is. They have to use violence to do it. Yeah. So yeah. Because it's stuck. Because that is the rule. That that is that is the rules that we're playing by. That is the game we're playing. Yeah. My my only the 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 default response to be for those people is yeah they need to they need to fix their hearts or die and just get out of the way and yeah. because it's that's they they already have that for us except they don't want us to fix their hearts. They just want us to die. Yeah. So, like, we are way more empathetic than they are, because um, they can just not be transphobic. They cannot. They can. They can just not do these things. Um, but if they're gonna keep doubling down, then yeah. Well, let's. If if you want to play by their rules, then we need to start playing by their rules, because they're not gonna have. If if they're not gonna change the rules, then that is the that is the game that they want us to do. Um, and again, like yep. actual like. I, I want to, I, I always, I always, for episodes like this, I always want to kind of end with like, here are some steps that you can like take that are relatively easy. And it's, it's, it's challenging for these types of sorts of things. Like, like there, yes, there is things you can do around, you know, getting, make, like making sure you're aware of what bills are being talked about in your local, in like your local area, contacting representatives to, to do stuff, going to, going to, you know, either whether they're school board meetings or stuff, but like, a lot of the electoralist type of ideas around this feels always so inadequate um, and it feels always so fake um, that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is so much, it feels a lot easier to that, to like, you know, figure out different ways to actually help actual trans people in your area um, and give trans people money. Um, and like, cause like that is often can be uh, actually have a way more positive effects, at least effects that are like observable. But like, but there are also ways to stop this type of legislation. Like, there is, there is, there, there is ways to do that. And I, I will, I'll try to get into more of that kind of stuff as well once we get, you know, our our week long of stuff about the war on trans people um, that will be upcoming probably sometime in this in in this next month. Yeah. Um, remember, folks, if anybody ever suggests doing something for children that isn't providing them with food or shelter. You should probably hit that person because they're probably trying to fuck something up for somebody. It's, yeah. it's nearly always. Don't trust anyone who says they need to do something to protect children. That they're lying to you. As as a rule, they're lying to you. Um. 
Anyway, you guys, um, how's the boy? That Star Wars. Oh yeah, I love yeah, when there's the, ships. there's the there's the there's the the Obi Wan's coming out. That'll be good. I am excited for the Obi Wan's because the Obi Wan's Mc... will be good. You and mm-hmm. Mc... speaking of speak, speaking of you and McGregor, a few months ago I saw the film uh, Velvet Goldmine starring you and McGregor, uh, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful like pseudo fictional film, but about kind of the glam rock era inside Britain. It's very, very, very gay. Very, a whole bunch, that a makes whole, sense. A whole bunch of very good twink action. And there was one scene where, um, you and, you and McGregor's character, he's, he's like, he's kind of based off one of the, one of those types of music people. I, I, I forget, I forget which one it is. Um, one I think Ziggy Pop. People? Oh, I, 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 think, okay. I think, I think, he, I think he's playing like a kind of a version of that, but there's one scene where he's doing a performance where he takes all of his clothes off on stage and you get to see you and McGregor's dick. Um, and <laughs> what? yeah, Great. you do. So if, oh, if, if people, if people want to see a kind of David Bowie esque film starring you and McGregor, it has, it has like a weird gay emo Christian Bale as, a, a, as a twink and a whole bunch of other really, really solid twink stuff. I would recommend watching Velvet Goldmine. It has a, it has a, a, a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do, very early in the film, get to see Ewan McGregor's penis just flapping around on stage. And it is, well, it's pretty good. It's Garrison, <laughs> speaking of movies where you see a famous person's dick, if you want to see another famous penis, the movie Galaxy Quest contains several shots of Tim <laughs> Allen Dong. I you want to see Tim Allen's hanging wang. That's, as, someone, uh, as someone who's seen both Galaxy Quest and Velvet Goldmine and who appreciates both films dearly, you, you, and you and McGregor is miles hotter than Tim Allen. Tim Allen's dong shot is not hot. It is not pleasing. It is not supposed is, to be. He is hung over in his like bathrobe, leaning over, <laughs> groaning. But if you want, if, if, if you if you want to see, want to see Rainer Fassbender's dick, uh, Germany in Autumn. Okay, that, that's I, I could I could I could do that. Very so no, weird if, movie. If, However, if, all right, all right, all right. If you, all right, yeah, well. if, in terms of in terms of actionable things to make you feel better, everyone go watch Vela Goldmine because it has all some right. very it has some very good gender play. Um, has wonderful, yeah, wonderful stuff around gender, wonderful stuff around gayness, and yeah, the film from like the '90s where there was like lots of gay fucking, and you're like, wow, how was this film made in the '90s? <laughs> because it is a whole bunch of like big name actors now who were like unknown at the time, all being gay and fucking each other, and you're like, holy shit! <laughs> all right, well, so, yeah. folks, that is the uh, that's what we got. That, there's your action items. There's your action item. <laughs> Go go watch go watch Velvet Goldmine. Make everyone you know watch Velvet Goldmine. It'll mm-hmm. make you feel good about gender. And Take screen grabs of Ewan McGregor's dick. Make burner Twitter accounts and just start posting. Just just get it out there. Get it out there. The world needs to know. Throw so, some of Tim Allen's dick out there too. Don't you, be don't be yeah, choosy. Okay. Stick it all all, right. all the dicks. All, all right, right. Well, that's, that's gonna be the day. That's that's the show. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast that is, uh, you know, it, 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 this, 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 this is a podcast about the world falling apart. The world is, in fact, falling apart extremely quickly right now. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm your host, Christopher, and I am here today to talk about an immense occupying army with an extensive record of torture and extrajudicial killings. I am referring, of course, to the Chicago Police Department. And uh, with with me to talk about uh, yet more just absolute horrors that this department has committed uh, here and worldwide, I have Raven, who is a journalist from Chicago Free Media. Raven, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, how how, how have you been holding up in these? Uh, oh boy, <laughs> things are going bad times. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we uh, we had discussed doing this interview earlier this week, and I don't think either of us expected uh, Russia to invade Ukraine last night. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't even the... Yeah, it was the convoys. Yeah, this, this is a this is a, a time of, of chaos and death. Um, but I, I think 
it's important to understand that it has all it has always been a time of chaos and death, and right. yeah, and and I think it's especially where the Chicago Police Department is concerned. Um, we've talked about we've we've talked about some of their more famous crimes on the show, but I wanted to have Raven on to talk about uh, a police killing that I don't think got that much attention. I mean, not even I mean, it got it got a lot of attention in Chicago, but. Even inside of Chicago, I don't think it's as well known as some of the other police killings. And that's the killing of Rakia Boyd. Um, yeah, uh, Raven, do you want to walk us through how... Uh, basically, what what happened the night that uh, Dante Servan killed Rakia Boyd? And yeah, we can start from there. Sure, sure. I mean, there's some context here, for sure, about sort of the the way we ignore the murders of black women specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, Rakia Boyd was, was murdered after sort of like the first wave of, of national black lives matter protests. So it wasn't like it wasn't on the radar, right. That people weren't talking about police killing black people. Um, but there, you know, there is this longstanding issue of course, with like the killings of black women specifically not getting as much attention. Right. And this was just, such a horrible, horrible incident that like, I mean, looking at the details, even, even though I live here and I was like around when it happened and some of our other, you know, the other journalists in our collective covered the protests and, and, and the, the court drama and everything, it, it still just blows my mind um, the way this happened. And, um, you know, ultimately the, the most important thing to take away from it is that her family never saw justice. He walked away. He yeah. walked away from the incident and then went on to start training police in Latin America, which we can talk about also. Yeah. So, so not only did this, did the Chicago police officer who was off duty with an unregistered gun murder an innocent 22 year old black woman hang out with her friends in a park. He then got a job with like a tactical training Institute to travel to Honduras and train police there. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, we can. We, I think we, yeah, we, we definitely will be getting to the sort of international right. angle of this, but yeah, yeah the I export guess, of American policing essentially. Yeah, yeah but I guess for, for people who aren't familiar with what happened, um, can can, can, right. we, can we walk through that? Yeah, so so Servin showed up um, at a park with an unregistered gun. Um, he, you know, witnesses reported that he smelled like alcohol that night. He may have been drinking. I don't know that that was ever verified, but certainly wouldn't be surprising. Um, sh showed up at this park to complain about a group of people making noise. And one of Rikia Boyd's friends approached the car with his cell phone in his hand, which Servin then would go on to say thought was a gun. And started firing shots and, and shot Rukia Boyd in the head. Um, he wasn't on duty. He wasn't actively policing. This was a totally, totally outside of the realm of duty incident, right? Yeah. Um, and no weapon was ever recovered from the scene. Nothing like that. I mean, it was, uh, there was no, in no universe was there any justification for this, right? Yeah. 
it it just defy it defies logic <laughs> like that that it could even happen this way um and after it happened you know so not only did he kill Rikia Boyd in this park um but after it happened there was there was just a lot of like there were a lot of missteps in in the justice system um and it had been i think i want to say like 17 years at that point since a chicago cop had actually been charged with with murder, right? Um, so it had been a long time since there had been even any accountability. And um, basically the prosecutor, there was something called a directed verdict where the prosecutor essentially undercharged him intentionally, or we think it was intentionally, um, with, with like reckless conduct and manslaughter. And the judge tossed the case because the judge was saying, you know, it, it didn't even meet the criteria for, for reckless conduct because it was clearly first degree murder. And then he couldn't be tried again because of rules surrounding double jeopardy. Which is like just a, like, it's just like what? Like it's, it's such like, I was reading this. It's, like, it's just <laughs> baffling. Like it's like the, 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 the it's, this whole thing is like it's, it's very like very very seems very clearly set up to fail. It's like yeah, like we're we're gonna we're gonna intentionally have a case where we try this guy with things that you that you just you cannot convict him of because it, like it, again it, it's it's not it's not like manslaughter. He just he he drove up and shot her. Like right. he 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 very like very clearly with intention shot Rakia Boyd and. It very much seems like they planned this out that they were in, like into the, and you know this is we, we've talked about this on on the last uh, CPD episode like prosecutors collaborate with judges and the police constantly because that's just how the, the thing called the justice system works. Um, but like yeah, like, this is like a particularly egregious example of them just setting up a case that they know that they just knew would fail. Exactly. And and this is the same prosecutor who was ousted in the aftermath of the, uh, the Laquan McDonald murder. Um, you know, there were, there were very large protests. Then there was a hashtag going on social media. Her name's Anita Alvarez. So the hashtag was by Anita. Yeah. And, and the, the thing um, with, with Anita Alvarez, like I think people outside the city probably d- didn't, don't know about much about this, but like this Anita Alvarez was like so hated that like like every like like everyone in the city basically worked together to run her out. Like you had like you had like liberals and anarchist groups like working together. Like <laughs> like, every, like everyone in the city, like all like the the, the electoralists, and the anti electoralists, like the people who just like have no politics basically whatsoever. Like it was it was this sort of it was this really incredible like coalition because. She like just the stuff Anita Alvarez is doing is just so egregious that everyone was able to find a way to put aside their differences on just the logic of get her out. Right, right. But, you know, to note again, that was in the aftermath of of the Laquan McDonald shooting. And, you know, it it wasn't it didn't what happened with Rakia Boyd wasn't enough to, to spur those large protests. And. And this is not to like denigrate or demean the people who did come out in protest because it's still like, like there were still protests. Don't get me wrong. Like people showed up for Rakia, but 
the difference in people showing up for Rukia and people showing up for black men being shot, you know, like that, that's something that black women have drawn attention to, yeah. you know, they're like, why yeah. don't you care when we get murdered? Um, and it's just, it's become this sort of, um, you know, ongoing chant. Like if, if you go to any Chicago racial justice protest, you will hear people say, we do this for Laquan. We do this for Rakia because it's just one of those names that for whatever reason, based on what was going on in the media at the time, just like didn't make its way outside of Chicago very much. Yeah. Um, and, and we're seeing a similar sort of situation right now with what happened with Amir Locke in Minneapolis, yeah. right? Like that was something where I think a lot of us thought, okay, wow, this, this is going to, this is going to explode. You know, this is such just a horrible miscarriage of justice. Like how could this happen? Um, surely there will be massive protests again, you know, something like that. And of course, you know, Minneapolis was out there. We had like some small actions here in Chicago, but didn't really catch fire. So to say, I mean, I think that there's always sort of cycles of this where, you know, there's cycles where you get these massive protests and cycles you don't, but, you know, and I think this is one of the things with that you can look at with Rakia Boy too, where it's it's like r- regardless of whether people are in the streets or not, the killing continues, and right, yeah, and I, th- I think that's just, just sort of that's an extremely grim thing to live with, but that that just you know that that that's just what the police is, right? And until you know, and, and until they are actually stopped, you're just going to keep getting this cycle of. I don't even know if select like selective outrage is the right word, but you get these cycles of people who get murdered and there's these protests and people who get murdered and get forgotten. And yeah. 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 And, and it, it really does seem to be kind of, you know, there's a lot of layers to it. Like, like obviously the, the misogyny against black women is part of it. And I think the media just, you know, is, is a part of it too. Like, I mean, we're, I'm a part of the media in, in a sense, but we're alternative media. So it's a little bit different, but you know, like there are, there are choices made behind closed doors about what stories to yep. follow and, and amplify. And um, I will say, you know, what I will say is I think because of what happened in 2020, I think there's a lot more scrutiny on Chicago police now at least more mainstream scrutiny of them than there was back in 2012 when Rakia was murdered. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that we're doing enough because we, abs- we absolutely are nope. not. But yeah. I, I, I think 2020 did in some way, you know, push things just like a little bit further, if that makes sense. You know, there are some more liberal mainstream types of people talking about the horrors of Chicago policing and, and all of that. But, you know, when it comes to Chicago police, like I, I just, their, their apparatus is so massive, like not just from like the funding they get, but like their media and PR, you know, the, the prosecutors and the judges, like you mentioned, are absolutely part of the policing apparatus. Like they're not separate, right? It's prosecutors are cops and we have a prosecutor yeah. for a mayor. And yep. she is a cop. <laughs> like, yep. like, and, and, you know, it, it was black youth who tried so hard to speak up about this before she was elected and, and said like Lori Lightfoot is a cop and people didn't listen to yeah. them. 
And that's where we're at now, where we have this, this prosecutor for a mayor who's because of her background, like she can only view things through a punitive lens. Like her answer to everything is just punishment. How can we, how can we punish people? Yeah. Like one one of the things she she was trying to do recently was she wanted to do these, like uh, basically this measure where they they called it like an anti-gang funding thing, but it was basically just like, if there's a group of people, you can just take the cops can just take money from them. And it was like, yeah. it was this incredible thing. Like it was, it was, you know, I, part, part of what's going on here is that I, I've talked about this before, but like Lori Lightfoot is, you know, at, at the time, I think people voted for her partially because they just didn't listen. And the North Siders were just like, Oh, Hey, look, it's Lori Lightfoot. But then, you know, like part of it was like she 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 ran as like the anti machine candidate, and it was like no, she's just a cop. But like what I think is interesting is you know like she she's like incredibly widely hated, like to to the point where like you know the Chicago City Council is like not notably a a, a anti police body, but like even the city council was like you can't do this. Like and then they they the you know they 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 actually blocked. I think if 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 I'm if I'm getting my 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 facts right on this, like I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they 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 blocked life with your puzzle because it was just like even, they did yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and that that's been one of the things that was like we've had a couple of like weird kind of like attempts to rein the CPD in, but they're not really happening because of like anti police sentiment. They're basically happening because the city council's feuding with the mayor, right. which is right weird. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've seen it like, I, it's, it's, she's such an, God, I could, the, the figure of Mayor Lori, Lori Lightfoot, I mean, it just makes no sense, right? Because she's hated by people on the left, you know, who obviously are anti-policing. She's also hated by the police. Yeah, the police hate her. I mean, it's, it's, you, it's incredible. <laughs> like, she, she does, she like, does, they, like, oh. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, she I mean, if you go through any of the conservative like cop blogs and, and Twitter accounts, you know, Chicago police are very active on, on social media. Right. Which is, you know, it's whole a whole thing in and of itself, yeah. because these people, you know, they shouldn't be po- broadcasting the things on social media that they do. But she's universally hated by everyone at this point. Um, so, you know it's just been a really, it's been a really tough couple years for Chicago since the riots, especially because Chicago, just the word has become so loaded in the national media, right? Like it's become this, this, this racist boogeyman essentially for like what, what could happen to your city if, if the woke mobs successfully defund police or, you know, whatever, which is, completely at odds with reality because at no point have we defunded the police like their yeah, budget like, just keeps increasing yeah like what what's what what's their budget it's like like is it for, i want to say it's 40 percent of the total budget but i think that's low it's something like that i mean it's billions of dollars like it's, yeah we're, we're pumping billions of dollars into this standing army that has that is basically yeah, occupying 40 percent of, of of Chicago's budget is it goes to the police department, right, right, and you know all of that money could obviously be spent on other things, and and we know like 
We know what reduces crime. I mean, obviously, we could get into like the category of what even is a crime, right? Yeah. Like, there are certainly lots of things that shouldn't be labeled crimes that are, but we know that communities with resources don't have significant violent crime problems. Like, we know that lifting people out of poverty and, and giving them opportunities and, and homes and all of these things, like, we know that that reduces interpersonal harm. And instead, we just keep looking at everything through this lens of punishment. Yep. And how punitive we can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's been, I don't know, I... Uh, the Chicago Police Department is just, it's just an absolute horror show. Um and it's a horror show and and they're also like it's a horror show not just because of how evil they are but also because they're incompetent right yeah so <laughs> like you've got them doing all of these really bad things and then they also just like struggle to to cover up their crimes <laughs> and they're, yeah. just, they're messing up like along the way at every step yeah and it's yeah, I, I don't know they they, they have the cpd's like it's they, they they have this kind of you know, I mean I don't know I don't know how unique, exactly unique it is but but I, I think go, go, going back to our sort of theory of like every police department has one thing that they're really good at it's the CPD has this unique combination of like incompetence torture and crime that they do that's like I, I think sort of, I think sets it apart from a lot of other um, yeah police departments yeah I think that's a good place to sort of jump off into the second I guess part of the Rakia Boyd story or. Really, it seems to be the Rikia Boyd story. It's the story of uh, Dante Servin, which is his role in essentially exporting American policing and the horrors of um, the, the horrors of the American police system and the horrors of sort of American imperialism to other countries. Because it is, it is right. not enough that the CPD murders people here; they've also got to do it other places. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so there was a there was a Chicago reader piece written about this um, back in February 2020. Servin's not mentioned in it, but it was a really good story. I recommend people look it up because, you know, some of this research is not like my original research. Right. It, it stems from the research that people with the Invisible Institute did. But essentially, you know, there are Chicago police officers and, and there's one in particular, his name is Aaron Cunningham. He's the man who um, founded this tactical training institute um, that go, you know, they go abroad, like they go to different countries and, and it's private, privately funded, though they claim to be working with, with the feds. And there's a lot of like weird gray area there where there's not a lot of oversight yeah. and nobody really knows like, are you getting federal money to do this? Are you just saying you are like, like what's the deal? Right. But, but Cunningham was essentially like a crooked cop who funded this tactical training Institute so that they go overseas to under-resourced countries with under-resourced police departments and train them in how to be police. They train them in crowd control. They train them in like narcotics and drug investigations. They train them in like, gang warfare, you know, all of these things, right? And these are countries that have 
tremendous issues with like, you know, outright warfare going on between gangs and the existing police forces. Right. So they're in desperate need of, of, of aid, of assistance. And, and of course, like some of these conflicts that are going on stem from American imperialism to begin with. Right. So it's like, we caused the problems. Then we're going to come in and like send a bunch of cops over who like, you know, have extensive misconduct records in their, in their home cities. And some of them have even just like murdered innocent women in the park. Yeah. And we're going to have them train your guys into how to be cops. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you know, that, that goes about as well as you would expect it to, which is one one of the things that the reader piece talks about is so one of the, these guys get brought in to train, a bunch of cops in El Salvador after the El Salvadorian police do a bunch of horrible massacres. And then they, they train these cops and then the cops immediately turn around and also again, do a bunch of horrible massacres. And yeah. it's, it's this, it's this, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to de-emphasize the fact that like the, like El Salvador, for example, like is a place that has its own like native right wing, like like it has like it has its own El Salvadorian like right wing death squads, right? And they they've you know right. been backed by the CIA, but like yeah, and I I I I, I don't want to like undermine like uh, underplay just how violent just like the local reactionaries are because it's it's right. not it's like it's 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 not like they they wouldn't also be death squads if the u.s wasn't there but like the u.s you know and, and the chicago police department sending people to train them is making them even worse and it's yeah yeah and and every place has their own right-wing reactionaries right yeah, like we're seeing yeah. <laughs> right now to bring to loop everything together and just bring us back to like what's going on with ukraine and russia <laughs> um it's related you know like both sides of this conflict have their own reactionary right-wing forces right yeah and anywhere you go around the world that's going to be a thing and empires like the american empire or the Russian empire or, or, or the El Salvador empire, you know, whatever empire it, it, they're going to be looking for ways to take advantage of, of those forces. Yeah. And, to and achieve I, their own ends. I, I think that I, I what, what I think is important, like one of the things I think is important about this politically is, is to understand that there is a, like there, there, there is an incredible amount of international solidarity between cops Right. They have, yeah. you know, like the, the, you know, I, I've seen, I think there's a book called the thin blue line international, but it's, it, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a <laughs> thing. Like the, the, you see this basically everywhere. The cops, like the, the, the cops know which side they're on and it's the side of the other cops. And I think exactly. this is something that, that confuses a lot of people because you get things like, like, for example, like, like the, the Chinese police, right? Like the Chinese police, like, go like we're trained by i think well, i mean well you know okay so the, the the like the chinese police in hong kong for example like that that police force like is still literally just a colonial british police force they just they didn't even like they didn't even bring in new people they just like promoted a new person who was a, a british colonial police officer and then made them the new head of the police and then you know and, and those those and those cops are also trained by they're, they're trained by american cops they're trained by british cops uh they're trained a lot by israeli cops um this is and this is the same, this is the same thing 
you know, this is the same thing with 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 like the, the the you know like this this is the sort of the same effect that gets you like Eric Prince like you know being being like hired by the CCP to run stuff in Xinjiang like it, it's it's there's there's an incredible right wing sort of militarist cop alliance that go just you know it, it's 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 a kind of international police solidarity that scrambles a lot of the sort of perceptions of what people think like like what what how how people try to think about the world because right yeah and, and you know and, and like it like fun, fundamentally like the, the 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 basis they have is the defense of property and the defense of sort of the 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 like the the the, the I, I usually call it like the the the, the global white supremacist regime and they right. all know, you know, like when, when, when an American cop goes to El Salvador, like they, they know which side they're on. They're on the cop side and it's, right. and you know, and, and they, they share, they, they share information, they share weapons, they share tactics, they share, I mean, just literally people, they share training right. and yeah. And, and of course, because again, it's the CPD, uh, they share Dante Servin. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he, I, you know, apparently at some point, very shortly after the murder of Rakia Boyd, it, it looks like based on what I've seen on his social media and what I've pieced together from, from his employment history, it looks like he had begun working with one of these tactical training institutes right before the murder. And then he murdered Rakia Boyd. And I mean, I guess technically I'm not supposed to use the word murder, but you know, no, I mean, murder. It. Fuck <laughs> uh, yeah, no, fuck him. He murdered Rakia Boyd. Yeah. And so, so he murdered Rakia Boyd and then everything happened with like going through court and he walked away without being charged or imprisoned. Or, I mean, he was charged, but without being convicted or imprisoned. Then um, the police board, you know, recommended his firing but he resigned two days before like he was supposed to have his hearing so he still gets a pension <sighs> i'm pretty sure that's how that works oh, um God. yeah and so he gets yeah i i don't i have to confirm that but i'm pretty sure he gets the pension so he resigns and then at some point after he resigns he starts posting to social media about his trips to Honduras and, you know, is posting mm. photos of, of like hanging out in the bar with, with the cops down there and, and kind of just all of that. And this is not like public information. Like it's, he has like a LinkedIn page where yeah. he like, <laughs> like lists yeah. the things he's been doing. Like, like this is completely public. I don't know like why nobody knows about it or has talked about it. Um, but, you know, that also, I think, just comes back to this murder kind of flying under the national radar a lot. Um, and so, you know, we don't know what company or organization he's there with. Um, it doesn't say he's with International Tactical Training Association, which is the, the Chicago-based group led by Aaron Cunningham and his wife. My guess would be it's that group because that's the big one out of yeah. space out of Chicago. Yeah. But you know, like we can't, I can't prove it. Yeah, it, it, and, it could be another. It could be another right wing tactical training group that's uh, training death squads in El Salvador. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, right? Is that this is not just 
happening here in Chicago. So like there are these tactical training groups all over and there are a number of us based ones started by different police officers from different departments because it's kind of like a career path for them in a sense, because it's a thing they can do once they retire. You get, and it's a moneymaker. You hold these, these tactical training seminars. And so a number of them are domestically based, right? Like they're not necessarily going overseas, but what they're doing is they're, they're having these seminars and they're training other police officers in like certain things. Like some of them might be like an afternoon session where you go and you learn about like, you know, firearm safety or something. Then there might be like larger ones where you go and you like stay and camp out for like three days and you practice like ambushing guerrilla gangs in the jungle or something like yeah. that. Um, and then a lot of them are, are based around gun safety and firearms training. And some of those are open to the general public. It depends. Some of these are like only for other cops or law enforcement and you have to like show ID or military and you have to like prove um, mm-hmm. that you're affiliated with police or military. Some of them are open to the public and you just have to have like a firearms card. Oh boy. So that's problematic yep. <laughs> for one reason because we found out in the aftermath of the January 6th Capitol riot that a number of few, a number of the capital rioters did attend like firearms training classes, tactical training classes in just various sort of locations. Yep. So this is a way for officers who have left the force for whatever reason to then have a captive audience and yeah, they're teaching them how to like shoot guns and, you know, follow the more like specific sort of things like that. But what kind of conversations are they having? Like what kind of ideology is being espoused? What kind of other people are showing up to these meetings and what are they talking about? What groups are they recruiting for? What are their affiliations? Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that that's something that's important to think about and also to, you know, have, have more generations of journalists look into because, you know, when, when you look at these, I mean, like, you know, we, we, we've had stories like this before, right? Like, I mean, this is a lot of how, for example, like the, 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 the Taiwanese special forces, for example, uh, spent an enormous amount of, well, partially special forces, partially just the Taiwanese army spent an enormous amount of time doing stuff very similar to this. And, you know, the pro- the product of that was, and this, this is a, uh, this is uh, Cold War era. Um, they're doing this in the seventies. They're doing this in the eighties. Some extent in the sixties. Um, you know, and and, and th- I mean, the, the product of this is like arena. The product of this is, you know, the the like the, the like, like one of the people they trained did the El Mazote massacre. Like, and th- that that kind of stuff. You you can trace these these influence networks, and you can trace these sort of some. I mean, a lot of this is I mean, literally just funded by weird cults. Um, but you can, you know, you, you can trace these different sort of paramilitary and intelligence influence networks. And what you see at the end of them is a, a lot of the time, it's just a bunch of fascists and it's a bunch, it's a bunch yeah. of fascists doing coups. And, you know, like in, in, in some sense, like 
yeah, this is this is a kind of like you know, like liberal democracy has this sort of problem, right? Which is that in order for liberal democracy to you know function as a liberal democracy, you have to have cops, and that means that you're you know you you are producing domestically and internationally a group of just ferocious, bloodthirsty right wing murderers. And you're you're giving them state authority, and you're giving them all these training and weapons, and you know the 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 product of that is they they do what they're trained to do, which is they kill people, they torture people, they train other people how to do this, and yeah, you you get these these cascading series of effects that lead you know a bunch of people taking these classes January sixth, they lead them to coups all over the world, they lead them to death squads all over the world. This has been it. Could happen here. Join us tomorrow for part two of our interview with Raven. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at HappenHerePod. Uh, check out the Cool Zone for more of our podcast. And thank you for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER me Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. 
Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about how much I, Christopher Wong, hate the police, and specifically the Chicago Police Department. Um, And we are bringing you part two of my interview with Chicago journalist Raven about more crimes of the Chicago Police Department, their international impact, and how the police weaponize race and class lines in order to preserve their power. Enjoy. You know, I, I spent a lot of time just like in like cop social media spaces. Right. And of course it's like rotting my brain and you know, it's, it's honestly just really tough to deal with sometimes, but you know, one thing that we see like over and over again, if you look at the memes that they share and the, the posts that they write on Facebook and all of these things is it's, they see the people as their enemy, right? Like they're, they're trained. The military, the militarization of, of the police isn't just about the equipment that they have and the money that they have. It's also about their psychology yeah, and how they, they view themselves as like warriors fighting the bad guys. But because of, the nature of policing, the bad guys are literally anyone who isn't complying with what they say. And usually this is like black people, you know, marginalized people, poor people. Um, and then there's sort of this, like, you see a lot of these like memes where they, they talk about themselves as like sheep dogs protecting the sheep from the wolves. Uh... And, yeah, I know. And, and like the sheep are supposed to be like the innocents, which typically, if you, if you really go deep into it, it's like in their minds, that's like women and children who are like mostly white, right? Yeah. Like they think they're protecting like white innocents from like bad guys. And, and there are layers to it, right? Because like, obviously it doesn't always work out that way. And, you know, there are like, poor white people in rural areas who deal with police repression. You know, there are like wealthy black people who get pulled over by the cops just because they're driving while black. Like there are certainly like layers upon layers here, depending on like class and, and just everything. But at the end of the day, like they're training themselves up to be a military fighting the people. In, invading their spaces, taking over, and the psychology of it is just really, really dark too. Because you have these people who, because because we're sending them into under-resourced communities, sort of after the fact, after traumas occurred, after there have been there's been violence, there's been shootings, everyone's poor, you know, whatever we're sending them into these places where there's just like the most horrible things about poverty and about violence are happening. And that's all they're exposed to. So then they end up with PTSD or all of these problems, you know, like the alcoholism rate, the domestic violence rate, all of these things within the Chicago police force are extremely high. 
and all of this comes back to because we're treating everything as punishment and we're coming in after the fact, we're not actually treating these problems at the source. We're just sending people in to, to manage the chaos after the fact. And then they end up traumatized. They end up enacting more crime and more violence upon these communities. And it just becomes a cycle that no one can get out of. And then it, and it comes back to just like defunding the police and, and state priorities. Like where are we putting our resources? Because if we were putting them in the right place, so many of these things wouldn't be happening in the first place. Yeah, and, and I think one, one other thing I think it's it's important to note that we talked about this on our, uh, our you know the episodes about the, the the cartels. We talked about this on our episodes about the other episodes about Chicago police, which is that the the other thing that happens is that the Chicago police just they you know they 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 see the drug trade and they go okay we're just going to get in on it and you know and the the, the 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 sort of the combination of these people these just incredibly violent armed people with like total impunity. And an enormous amount of money is that you know they, 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 be, they become themselves in just you know they they, they 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 become exactly the same thing that they that they were you know nominally supposed to be fighting, and that right. has all of these these downstream effects of you talked about the the the, the, the way that the way that this militarizes basically everything right this this militarizes the police this has the, you know the violence of it has the effect of militarizing like of militarizing everyone else it, it militarizes the non-state actors and it just sort of it, it just keeps rationing up the level of violence and as long as you keep throwing the state at it and as long as the state just keeps essentially like going okay i just i, I I'll, okay we have a drug trade i'll just get a cut of it and as long as that keeps happening like all, all of the stuff that the cops are, you know, nominally there to to deal with is just going to keep escalating because the the state that like because be, be, like just because state violence is intensifying and making it worse. Right, right, and it's just so like they're so fucking racist. Yeah, <laughs> like I just can't. I mean, like it's, I don't. We have to. We have to keep talking about that because it's just like so much of just like where like where they get their information and how they exchange like if you look at these cop social networks and where they're getting their information and the kinds of things they're saying to each other about black people in Chicago are all so ridiculously wrong because they're just parroting these like cop blogs that they read full of all kinds of just batshit fucking conspiracy theories about like our, our black DA or prosecutor, excuse me, Kim Fox being like a puppet of George Soros. They literally believe this. Yeah. And, and it's echoed by people like Tucker Carlson, you know, in national media, like anytime Chicago comes up, you will hear these kinds of just completely off the wall conspiracy theories about like communist, BLM, Antifa, Soros-funded Kim Fox, like, ruining Chicago. And and I'm not, like, defending Kim Fox. Don't get me wrong. She's still a prosecutor. She's still, like, <laughs> putting people in jail. Yeah. But she, you know, she was elected because she was, to be, she was supposed to be this, like, big reformist and, and all of that. And, and so she's become a target. And, and then she's also become a target for them because she's a black woman. So it's easy for them to to make her into a lightning rod of hate, basically. 
Yeah. And, you know, like they just, the, the dehumanization of, of black Chicagoans that you see in these, in these Facebook posts that these people are writing and the things that they're tweeting, like it is violently disturbingly racist. And all of that comes back to just how they view themselves as like an occupying army in these communities. Like they don't view themselves as like cooperative partners in helping these communities. Like it's no, we're there to occupy. We're there to extract resources. We're there to like, you know, benefit off of this gang warfare if we can, you know, and, and like you mentioned, like if you look at like the corruption and, and the things that, that have gone on with that, I mean, like, I mean, that goes back to city council, right? I mean, we have, we have aldermen, we have, we have older people who are essentially in bed with the cops looking for looking out for them. Yep. And you know, like they're dedicated cop aldermen. I mean, like all of our Chicago aldermen are older people, excuse me, are Democrats by name, but it's like, no, we have five or six older people who are Republicans. Yeah. Like they call themselves Democrats because they wouldn't be able to be elected in Chicago if they didn't, but they are absolutely like cop loving Republicans. You know, they just call themselves Democrats because they like support gay marriage or whatever. Yep. Well, it's because it's Chicago and you like you can't run a city. Yeah. Like the like the, yeah. the, 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 the only time a, a Democrat has ever lost one of these elections was uh the time a uh I want blanking on the name of the cult. Uh the, the the time a Larushite accidentally won the primary and then lost in the okay. like that that's basically it like yeah I mean it, it's 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 you know this this is a democratic city but you know a d- democratic city just means incredibly right wing and police which right right yeah and and when you look at the history of policing in Chicago you have to go back decades and decades and kind of look also too at like where a lot of these cops came from in the aftermath of like the dissolution of like the official like mafia and like Al Capone and all that stuff. Yeah. You had a lot of working class immigrants from like European communities, like the Polish community, the Irish community, the Italian community. And all of these communities have their own like police associations here, like the Italian American police association, the Polish American police association, all of these things. And and so like it becomes this being a cop to go back to sort of like the international ties here, being a cop becomes this like identity for them and their families. Like a lot of people are cops because their dad was a cop. Their grandpa was a cop. Their cousins are cops. Their brothers are cops there's like a family honor sort of in like being a cop and, and a lot of them show, you know, and that, that that goes back to why they show so much solidarity too with like cops from other countries is it's like the profession in and of itself is lionized. And then on top of that, you have right now in Chicago, like, 
because of gentrification, because of just like immigration patterns and the way communities have changed, we have these like traditionally Polish Italian communities that feel like they're being encroached upon by mostly like Latinx communities. So we had, for example, like, you know, the shooting, um, the murder of Anthony Alvarez up on, up on the Northwest side, the far Northwest side of Chicago last year. And in the aftermath of that, we saw a lot of like tension between the traditional, like Polish, Polish American community up there. And then the new wave of like Latinx immigrants. Um, and the problem is a lot of the people in the Polish community up there have family and relatives who are cops. So we had like cops trashing the memorial, you know, to the, to Anthony Alvarez. We had like Polish biker gangs, like riding by the rallies, trying to like intimidate people. And it all comes back to like white supremacy and, and just straight up racism. Right. Like there's another example of that with like the, the, (laughs) the, 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 the Columbus statue that was sent here by Mussolini that, Eventually, yeah. So one one of the like one of the, I guess you call it the second wave of the uprising in Chicago was a bunch of people like <laughs> enormous numbers of people throwing things at cops who were attempting to defend this statue, and this was like a huge like the Italian like American like the right wing of it got like extremely mad about this, and yeah. there was all of this sort of I don't know there was all this sort of tension between like. Between these these different communities, yeah, yeah. And, and some of that comes back to like also um, the construction of of the interstates, right? So like in the I don't know when they started building the highways down by UIC is like in the fifties or the sixties, right? You had this like traditional Italian American community down there by University of Illinois at Chicago and like on Taylor Street, and then people built the highway and it like fucked up a bunch of shit. You know, some people had to sell their homes, you know, some, their traditional neighborhood was like destroyed, all of these things. And then this university is built and that coincides with that. And so you end up getting a lot of like old school racist Italians (laughs) getting pissed at the students and at the school and everything in the aftermath and it's a really, really multicultural school. I don't know if you're familiar with UIC. Yeah, but it's like, there. yeah. So UIC has like one of the largest immigrant student population, student bodies, like yeah. in like the country. Um, it's just a very, very diverse school. I'm pretty sure white people are actually a minority. If you look at like the demographics of just like how people identify in student surveys. UIC is the, the University of Illinois in Chicago. Uh, yeah, it's a, one of the big universities in, in the city. Yeah, just for the non-Chicagoans. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, different. There's a different one, University of Chicago. That's like yeah, down that, in Hyde Park. Yeah, there's that's the one of, I went to, <laughs> which is yeah, cursed in yeah, many and ways. They've got, their whole, they've got their whole thing going on because their campus police force is one of the largest private police forces in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I guess we can talk about that, that a little bit too, because that's this sort of like, 
it's kind of horrible bind where it's like, yeah, so it's that that police force is one of the largest police forces in the world. It has shot students. It has shot people who are not students. It does mm-hmm. a bunch of horrible things. But then, you know, some things that you're there's there's this kind of trap, right? Because like one of one of the things that happens is like, well, OK, so you, you get rid of the UCPD. Right. And then, then you know, OK, so they're, they're going to bring the Chicago Police Department in. And it's like the Chicago Police Department are like <laughs> one of the few institutions in the world that's worse than like the regular UCPD. And it's, you know, and, and that, that was one of the things that was that was really inspiring um, in, in 2020 was just, yeah, the, the, the way that they abolished the Chicago Police Department's like movement was sort of like enfolded in this broader, just in this broader attention of just abolish Chicago, the, the Chicago police in general. But it's this weird thing where it's like, yeah, you, you have these, you have these occupation zones and it's like the, the, that, that part of the South side. And, and the, other, the other thing I think that people don't understand about the Chicago police department is that they have an absolutely enormous range that they, they patrol, right? That, that doesn't include that. It's it goes way off campus. Like they have, they have an absolutely yeah. enormous range of things they can include. And they, they do things like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll just like, like, like lock down the entire campus and they'll just do this. It'll just happen because they'll, they'll be like chasing someone who like, like one, one of the, one of the times when I was there, someone like they like stolen something from like a video game store and the whole campus got locked down. Like the cops were screaming at everyone to stay in the buildings. Like, and they just like, you know, they had this like, like, like enormous numbers of cops just sort of like, swarmed through the entire the entire campus for like an hour and this is just like happens i mean there, there's cops everywhere they just they do stuff like that and there's this whole you know and, and, and but this is one of the other things where you get these tensions because so you chicago the university of chicago also has like it's not as large but it also has like a, a, a like it also has like a pretty large uh international student immigrant like population and there was this uh there was there was there was a chinese international student who got shot in a, who got shot in a robbery uh right last year and that was a huge i, th- I think that was last year yeah that was yeah it wasn't general yeah it was, it was like it was, at it the was end last of year. the year i think yeah yeah and that turned into a huge thing where you had these sudden you know because we've had these anti-police protests but then suddenly there was this huge wing of like basically the right wing faculty, a bunch of just like absolutely reactionary, like extremely rich uh, CCP scions. And like this, this sort of like nucleus of, of the, 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 like, like people, like people in the right wing law faculty, like the econ people who suddenly had this like giant thing that was like, well, it was, it was, it was, this, it was this sort of microcosm of, of, of the, the broader sort of like, turn against the anti-police movements by using crime. And they had this whole thing. It's like, we need to keep the campus safe. And they were like, Oh, we need to give you the UCPD, the ability to lead to, to go off of campus, which, you know, they already have. And they're like, we need to give them more money. We need to have more cops everywhere. And it was just, and it's, it's just this sort of like, you, you, you get this horrible, horrible sort of pendulum effect where like you get this violence and then, you know, people like the, 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 the like the, the the right's response to that violence is just to create is you know just to send in more cops to create more violence, and it just keeps escalating. It keeps escalating, and it's it's and then, you know and, and there's there's a sort of dynamic of this right where rich students at the University of Chicago and this is to some extent it, this is it's mostly a class and race thing, but it's not entirely. But like people who go there just like have this like incredible fear of literally everyone around them. It's like it, they they turn into mini cops. Yeah. Like yeah. 
yeah. there, there are people who are screaming about how like just the red line is not safe at night. And I was like, I, I have literally like, I, I have walked like 30 blocks back home at two in the morning and been completely fine. Like you guys are just cowards, but, and you know, you're, you're cowards and extremely yeah. racist, but like, yeah, you, like all, all, all of these sort of factors blend together and you, you get these, you get these coalitions of, of these, these right wing pro police people who want to just not, not just like, you know, not, not just support the police, but want to continue to expand it so they can feel safe. And it's like, you're not, you're not even in danger, but they have, they have, they have the same sort of like, this whole town is trying to kill us like racist cop brain mentality. And yeah, sorry, this is, this is, this is, this has been me being upset about this because. Yeah, no, no, no. I I feel you. And it's like, it's, and, but it it relates back to kind of like campus policing in general and kind of why it exists, which is that a lot of colleges, I mean, not all of them, it depends on where you are, but like some colleges, especially in like large urban areas, you know, are, were built in the middle of like largely black communities. Yep. And, that, and that's so, University of Chicago to a T. Yeah. And because the land was cheaper to buy, uh, you know, there are reasons why yep. necessarily like they're built in these places. And so the campus police departments function as just a way to like keep the students isolated from the community. Like it's making a community within a community. It's making this little enclave. And then, of course, people are are then going to view anyone outside of that enclave with, like, racist suspicion, right? Yeah. And if you have immigrant students who may or may not be wealthy, it depends on where they come from, but U of C has, like, a lot of, as far as I'm aware, like, wealthy international students, and they might be coming from countries where, like, there aren't any Black people, or there aren't very many, and just because they're they're coming from like this country doesn't necessarily mean that they like are left wing. So they they're coming into these communities, you know, with not a lot of experience, just sort of around people who look different from them. And so they're going to be, of course, looking to like these police figures then to quote protect them. But but to go back to it, it's like okay, well, if if you are feeling unsafe on the train at night, for example, why, why isn't the train safe? Like, why are people using it as, as, you know, shelter? Why are people doing drugs on the train? Like, why is there violence happening? And that just comes back to, again, like, we're not actually addressing the root problems by just adding more police. And I, I will say, like, I think, I think again, like the, the, the other thing that's happening here is really just the university of Chicago, like is, is, is a place to which the world's elite is, 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 is transplanted. And yeah, you know, and you, you can see this like very clearly along. Cause like, yeah, like there is the, 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 the wealth gap between like between poor international students and rich international students is like, it's, it's the largest single wealth gap in like, in, in this, in the entire university, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and you know, and, and you, you could, you could just, you can watch it playing down on class lines and it plays down on other lines, right. Where you have like, like, you know, even like, yeah, you, you have like, you have both, you have students from, I don't know, you have students from China, you have students from Vietnam and like one of them will be trans and you know, it, it turned, yeah. It's like, Oh, Hey, look, like, yeah, like when when you, when you have like when you have a Chinese trans student, right? It's like yeah, they they the the 
the the people who back home had have experienced depression in various ways are consistently like consistently um are like consistently anti-police and consistently like significantly less bad about this stuff it's it's it, in my experience it's it's very much is just you have this sort of transplanted like you you have this sort of transplanted elite from other countries that come to the university of chicago so they can you know study economics and go back to their own countries and like continue to like rob their own populations and those people <laughs> right. are the ones who are doing this stuff and it's i don't know it's you you see a lot of kind of like this like i th- i think really misguided like anti-racism that's like well okay we have to take the security concerns of 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 these these of of asian people seriously and it's like these are this is this is the chinese ruling class this is the this like you don't need to take these people's concerns seriously they are fanatic they're ferocious right wingers who've just read hayek for the first time like you guys the, these this these are these are not the same people as the people who are suffering under the like right Right. Yeah. And and we saw that we saw that, too, with like the big wave of, of stop Asian hate protests here last year. Yeah. Where we had like this big rally down in Chinatown um, with like a huge, huge number, like hundreds of people from the community came out. And and you had a lot of younger people who very much had like, you know, defund the police kind of sentiments. But then you had we had like police representatives speaking at the rally, yeah, about how they were going to to make like Chicago safer for Asian people. Yeah, and it's like, I, like, I just it's, like this stuff. Like it makes me so angry. Like CPD, honestly, uh, yeah, no, it, it was regular CPD. Like I, I'm Chinese. They almost fucking killed me on campus. Like the, these people, like they're not these these these. these like they, they're like the police don't keep us safe, but like you know, there, there's been this, there's been this incredible weaponization of of the Asian American community. Like you see this, you see this in Chinatown. Yeah. There's, there's been this, like the, there's like Chinatown is like, and this is different. Even in the last like like three or four years, has turned into this just like like incredibly right wing. I mean, it's it's not everyone, but like you see, like there there are like I like there there's there's a there's 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 a bench in in uh in Chicago in front of the library, right? that had they have these tables and the tables have an engraved plaque on them that says no loitering and that says we will call the police on you if you loiter this is outside of the library like it's yeah, yeah they, there's, they have this sort of like this incredibly right wing like anti anti uh, like anti uh like homeless people campaign that's happening and it's it's i don't know it's, it's one of just the most depressing things i've seen here because you have you know you you have the chamber of commerce as the sort of like you know, as the most powerful political force in a lot of these communities. And like those peoples are right wingers and they just, they, they, they don't have the same interests as like the the rest of the Asian, of, of the Asian American community. And it, 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 you know, and it gets, you get this horrible, horrible thing, which is what was happening on, on the Chicago campus, which is like essentially the right wing, like pitting the right wing is like, just, just pitting the, like basically, basically like pitting Asians against black people. And it's right horrible, and it you right know, and, 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 uh, and it just comes back to like who who is benefiting from this? Like who when we when we have immigrant communities or non-immigrant communities, you know, like being upset with other communities. What are the greater forces here that are like benefiting from that sort of like infighting? Yep. And it's always like the fascist 
cops who who ultimately come out yeah. on top there because if they can keep the people fighting amongst themselves yeah. <laughs> or they can stoke prejudice and racism between the people, you know, they can then come in and scoop up resources. And when you look at like a school like University of Chicago, they just have a massive, massive amount of money, right? Like yeah, the resources there are just unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and so, of course, you're going to have people in the community who are resentful of that who are upset about that because like they don't have affordable yep. housing. They don't have good jobs. Like they're trying to make a living and keep their kids safe. And here's this like university in the middle of their neighborhood with all of this money. Yep. And wow, I'm so amazed. I'm just so happy that like somebody's, doing construction right now outside my apartment (laughs) (laughs) thank you for this timing i'm so glad about this um but but essentially like you know you they the students the students end up being a scapegoat for all of their like all the communities like justified fears about what's going on right yeah justified they're justified in being upset that they don't have these resources, but it's not necessarily like the individual students. Yeah. And, and there, there've been a lot of really good, so like right, right before one, one of the things that was happening in, in, in uh, Hyde Park, like right before I got there was there was this huge campaign. Basically there, there wasn't a level one trauma center like on the South side. And so, you know, if you get shot, right, they have to like take you in a helicopter to the north side to a hospital there. And, you know, in that time, like there's a good chance you're going to die. And there had, there had been one, but it got shut down because it wasn't making any money. And so, you know, there, there was this huge uh, uh, community student campaign to like, to force the university to open one of these trauma centers. And so I think, and I, I think it's important that like, we don't have to fight each other. Like that, right. that's not a thing that, ha- you know, like, yeah, like I think, I think, like that university, I, uh, I I don't think it should continue to exist. I think at, at the very least it should be like taken under community control. But who? But like yeah, like right. you know, for for the people who are there, and you know, I think like for for the Asian Americans listening to this, and for 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 people who are students, like you you do not have to be the weapon to the cops. You don't. You can you can work together, and 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 when you do that, you can win, and you you can win you can win like really incredibly tangible gains for the community and you can save people's lives. You know, it also outside of campus, same deal with Chicago police, right? Yep. Like we don't need to have the Eastern European communities fighting the Latino communities, fighting the black communities. Like we don't need to have these, like all of these communities just like fighting each other instead of like the actual oppressive forces at yeah. the top. Um, but, you know, right now we're at like this kind of, I don't know, I, I guess tipping point, I think, where either people start to show solidarity or we're fucked. Yep. Like there are massive, not to get like super existential with you, but like there are massive, massive forces right now, right wing forces trying to benefit off of all of this factionalization. And as we see tanks 
rolling into Ukraine, like that's, this is a global phenomenon. Yeah. It's not just happening at home. It's happening everywhere. And like, we don't have a lot of time left to stop this. And to bring it back to this like far right trucker, full trucker convoy shit show that's about to happen and and, and roll into roll into our capital. Like I'm just struck by the timing of it all. And I, I'm certainly not going to be like a conspiracy theorist about it and be like, well, Putin is, has planned this all (laughs) happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I do think that whether or not it's like planned to happen at the same time, it's absolutely going to benefit these people that, you know, this is happening right now yeah. in Ukraine. And, and this, this, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing with, with the just horrific anti-trans bills that the, the anti-trans, well, like not bills, but in, in anti-trans, uh, Government action, I guess, is the correct term in in yeah that's happening in Texas right now. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, like people people draw comparisons to to the Third Reich and to Nazi Germany and them banning like you know homosexual dance parties and things like that. You know, like they didn't start out saying we want to kill all the Jews. <laughs> like that's not like it doesn't. You don't start that way. Yeah, you make. It- you would do the smaller attacks first. You build up to it. You take power inch by inch until like nobody can stop you. Yeah, but I I think I think you know there's there's there, there's an important note here though, which is that like it, it it's it's very easy to sort of especially in times like this to sort of just like be 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 in a place where it just it looks like history is just washing over you right that you know we're 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 bound by these sort of irresistible powers and forces and that's not true like these the these 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 kinds of fascist movements can be defeated these kinds of militarist movements can be defeated but right. they, they 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 can only be defeated when we actually take our place as the subjects of history Right. Like we, we, we are the, we are the people who through our actions create history. And, you know, when we also are the people who create the world we see around us, but you know, and as, as David Graeber was incredibly fond of saying, right. It's like, we, we are the people who create the world around us. And that means that we can, it can be otherwise. And, you know, when, when we essentially like, when, 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 when we, when we reclaim, our, you know, our, our status as subjects, our status as human beings, our status as the people of which history is composed of, and we move, we can stop these things. Like, there, there, there do not have to be another, like, there don't have to be more Nazis, there don't have to be more genocides, there don't have to be more wars. We can stop them. We just have to fight. Right. I don't disagree with that. I think, I think it's a completely true. I guess I'm just I don't know. Maybe I'm like a doomer. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it, it's really hard right now to kind of see, I guess, sort of mass resistance forming in the U S specifically just because of the way the pandemic has wrecked us. And I feel like people are 
I, I mean, people are just checked out, right? Like they're exhausted. They're broke. I, uh, you know, a million people have died because of, because of the government's just complete lack of adequate handling of COVID. And, and so I completely agree that like, this isn't inevitable. Like we can stop this at the same time. I, I just, I don't know what it's going to take for Americans, like as an entity to actually stand up and fight this. And I'm not blaming individual people because it's like all the reasons for people being exhausted and checked out are like also by design. Right. Because of course, like if we keep people exhausted and checked out, then the oligarchs at the top, like can continue to like loot society yeah i mean i i think i i I think i'm sort of less sanguine on that just because like you know because i I remember this is the same thing that like everyone said right before the uprising like everyone was checked out everyone was sort of like you know like the 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 pandemic had just started everyone there was this like general consensus that like mass action was impossible and then you know like two days later they burned down a they burned down a police station and like they're looting the miracle mile and you know it's like it's like it's these these right. these, these, no, these yeah, things these things like you know like every like the 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 people who are in some sense the most in tune with like what is happening it like often tend to be the people who are most shocked by when when these kinds of things just emerge seemingly out of nowhere. And so, I don't know. I, I think I think I I I I think we can't know what exactly will set off the next wave. But I but I I think it's a safe bet there will be another one because there always is. Oh, right? oh yeah, for you know, sure. We've, we've never like, sure. you know we 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 have yet to hit a point so bad that people stop fighting like ever in history. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and that's the long arc of history, too, is it's like people have always been fighting for their liberation. Yeah. In some way. And if you look at the longer story, you know, there might be very long periods of darkness and repression and collapse. And then people emerge from that and new societies emerge, new ways of thinking, all of that. And I think where we're at now, like at this moment, there are certainly small ways that people can resist and ways that we, like we have to focus on like our immediate communities too. You know, it's so easy to get to feel helpless when you like, you look at things on such a grand scale because of course, like we can't all just like run into Ukraine right now and like stop Putin. (laughs) There's, there's really not a lot we can do when it comes to like things like that, but we can like take care of our friends. We can like make sure that the people immediately around us, like have what they need. We can like check in on like, you know, our unhoused neighbors. We can like, Take, you know, some people here in Chicago are, are prepping to like take in Ukrainian refugees, for yep. example, right now. And and that's like the sort of action that like is definitely going to be needed. 
Um, and, you know, like when you look at the story of like something as, as horrible and, and just like awful as the Holocaust, like, of course there are all, all these like small stories of like people who like sheltered people who were, who were being sought out and, and you know, there were, there were all these different kinds of resistance movements in Germany and in Poland. Um, and it's not just about like all the people that, that Hitler killed. It is also about all the people that like were, that people managed to save, you know, and it is also like, I don't know, we, we, in America, especially it's like, we got to get away from the Hitler comparisons, which I know I just like just made, yeah. <laughs> but like, like it's, it's, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like there's obviously like plenty of parallels and and it's important to be like students of history and like understand what's going on and everything. But like, we don't, what we're seeing is like, we're going to see a kind of fascism that is unique to our era. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that Trump is going to come out and call for like outright genocide and like, you know, build, build death or like Ron DeSantis is going to get elected and like build death camps. Like it's going to look different than it has in the past, even if like some of the phenomenon are similar. So what we're looking at instead is like, especially with climate change, we're looking at a lot of, controls over borders and obviously some of that is like what's happening in europe right now too but you know people are going to be looking to control resources like water oil land as we know that they're like running out and so this this sentiment against like immigrants especially you know that's something that is going to just keep getting worse yeah and so i think it makes it harder for people to to i guess recognize that things are as bad as they were if that makes sense yeah um and ultimately like it's just yeah mass resistance is the only way out right yep like the people have to resist and we can't keep waiting for like joe biden or or anyone to be our political savior yeah I think I, I think that's a that's that's a pretty good note to end on. Yeah, thank you, thank you for joining us. Uh, do you have stuff that you want to plug? Um, not at the moment. No, I mean, I think uh, I guess our Twitter account, but that's about it. Okay, yeah. Well, th- this this has been this has been another episode of It Could Happen Here. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Happen Here Pod. Uh, you can find stuff at cool zone we have a website go there stop asking me for sources they're they're on the website they get out they get <laughs> uploaded uh yeah so yeah thank thank you once again for joining us hey we'll be back monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe it could happen here as a production of cool zone media For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.